for so long, I believed. What am I now if I'm not a father? Duncan and both come correct. I did not realize that I spoke so much. I'll give you a laugh if you want. All right. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let, let's begin. If we don't have um, a story about Mark's dad, is well, there well, a I've story? A million stories about Mark's dad, but let me tell you, let me tell you a little story about, um, um my commute into work this morning. And I've mentioned this a few times. I, I have a, not a long commute and it works. So sometimes I'll fling on a morbid Mondays to watch. Um, you know, just to just get me in the mood for for what will inevitably be, uh, inevitably be a fairly laborious day at work. But I'll kick it off with some hard hitting horror action. Sure, uh, from a good friend, Bo. Um, I don't so feel like I, in, I, I did. I go after you in this episode. I don't recall that. No, 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 no. You didn't. You did not. If anything, you were actually fairly. You went after everything else. Like that was that was quite funny listening to it. It was like someone literally aged you like forty years on camera, and then you know what's wrong with the world today? Sure, my day didn't. You you just became like this old man. It was hilarious. Um, but uh, and we, we could we can maybe pick up one of the topics you mentioned later on, which I I I, I have my two cents to throw in, and because you do that generally when I'm watching like a movie for a recording or, or whatever i never get a chance to watch you live but anyway um i'm driving along Bo's talking Bo's cut out the 15 minutes of dead air at the start which yeah, you're welcome i am thankful um and then Bo then starts with his audio working which i'm also thankful for yeah and i'm listening to you chat and you're going through all the different shows and it's it's, it's you know i'm like oh right so all right i didn't know that episode of that show is out so i need to check that one out and taking notes and uh, and i'm coming up to one of the the slip roads off the motorway uh, to to take me up to my my office has just moved recently so i'm in a, a, a what is ostensibly closer to my house office although the road to get there takes an earlier junction in the motorway which takes longer to get to its fucking backwards but it doesn't matter anyway um so i'm driving along trying to pay attention as well as listening to you um uh, and men are not known for multitasking, Bo. But this is what I'm doing. I'm just listening to, to Bo, all the rest. And um, I'm going to blame you for me missing my my cough. I'll I'll take it. I'll take the hit. And the reason is I about creased myself laughing. I, I, I could not breathe from laughing about you talking about how the Brimley has gotten out of hand so much so that you've been looking at fake moustaches online. Yeah. And I, I about crashed I about crashed the car. I couldn't I couldn't breathe. Couldn't breathe laughing with the tears pissing at my eyes. Um because I realized like you were saying that it wouldn't take that much to I realized that you could Brimley up really easily. Uh-huh. Like, I think maybe easier than you think you actually can. No. Just a nice pair of round round frame specs and um a moustache yeah. and a cowboy I hat. Forehead, and you're there. I know. I know, Duncan. I believe me. the The fact that I was looking at mustaches is not bullshit. That happened because <laughs> I, I was like, I could do it. I could pull it off pretty easy, like fifty bucks, and I'm done with Halloween costumes the rest of my life. I, 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 yeah, 
I, I couldn't believe it. But yeah, you, you made me miss my turning off from laughing. Uh, and then it took me an extra 20 minutes to get into work than the general would. So I had to drive further along, get the next slip off and then drive back. Um, but it was worth it. I will go out on record. It was worth it. It was pretty fucking hilarious. So well played, Bo. Well played. Yeah, I, I do apologize, but only a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so, sorry, as we were talking... No, no bullshit. Damien posts. Uh, oh, just he's tagged me in it as well. You need to read this. This is fucking hilarious. New from Fuckle Chumps Furniture. It's the Brimley recliner. It's old. <laughs> it's worn. It only comes in red, white, and blue. It's my chair, goddammit. Wilford Brimley <laughs> says, Fuckle Chumps Furniture, a division of Dunboco. And uh, and that is his ad uh, for Fuckle Chumps Furniture. Well done, sir. Now immortalized in the uh, season finale of Duncan and Bo Come Correct, which, in, in, if it turns out, is the name of this show, Duncan. Yeah, uh, it is. Well, there you go. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, this season, we are doing a version, a permutation of our normal show, uh, this mm-hmm. time entitled Duncan and Bo Go to the X Files. I don't know if you recall this, Duncan, but we have watched nine episodes of season 11 of the X Files so far culminating mm-hmm. in this episode which is i what we have agreed is the last episode of the x-files we are ever gonna do yeah yeah unless yeah. unless me and you get paid a sizable sum of money to quit our day jobs and run through seasons one through nine we will not be revisiting the x-files again right for those uh like hermit millionaires out there <laughs> yeah. listening to the show. And that's our biggest Patron demographic. Of the arts. <laughs> yeah. That was like, you know, you know, I'd like to hear that. And, you know, write the check to Don Boco. Uh, mm-hmm. you, short of that, you can also send all the Bitcoins in the world Ooh, uh, yeah. to us. And we will, we will do it for that as well. We will um, have no idea what we're doing because neither one of us is ofe with cryptocurrency. But by all means, send them. Oh, Duncan, I'm doing all kinds of shit. A- after watching the X Files, I got into those dot onion sites, and <laughs> and and now uh, I think my computer is always watching me. <laughs> I woke up Rimmage, and it was in my bathroom. Seventages. <laughs> Riz just niz nine sviba. Uh, I I speak their language, Duncan. The computer comes at me, and I'm like, "Yes, never reserved nine twelve bizdiga." And it's like, "All right, man, it's cool. You don't have to get it's salty." Cool. It's like it's like it's like those things over here, like in those movies where someone's like, "I've got this," and then. They, they try and do the language and, it, and the subtitles comes out wrong. The robot's like, I understand, but why do you want a tampon? <laughs> yeah, <get> yeah, <laughs> that's not right. Um, that's not right. <laughs> so before we jump into our discussion of, of the episode uh, entitled My Struggle 4. <laughs> Which is how many times I struggled to get through this episode. <laughs> Man, at a certain point when I realized how dumbass an episode it was, I got kind of excited. It, it oh, it's so fucking dumb. The end of this episode, as I said, is one of the things 
that I will remember about the X-Files forever. Just how suddenly uh, the character pivots in this mm-hmm. episode are fucking neck-breaking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whiplash is the, is the way I would... Is, it's um, is <laughs> a dumbfounded whiplash is what I had all the way through this episode. Huh? Yeah, the, the <laughs> lingering question from the episode shouldn't be, your motivation is what now? Mm-hmm. Uh, no wonder Gillian w- Anderson said she wasn't coming back. I think she probably said that right after this episode. Perhaps so. I think there are no. I think after the first one, <laughs> I after- don't know what you mean. Where where she 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 literally lay in bed for a whole episode, and then the whole previous season had been a dream. Um, yeah, you'll never find. Listen, you will never ever in a million years find Duncan and Bo pulling any goofy shit like pretending that an entire season of our work was a dream. Never happened, Bo. Never happened. Yeah, that would be a real cop-out, Duncan. Artistic integrity is what we have on this show. Look, you may mock this show for any number of reasons, but its Mm -hmm. integrity is beyond reproach. We, We embrace every episode of every show we have done, good and bad, uh, we are not turning our back on any of our history, ever. Although, I uh-huh. will say, I will say, I find it really weird that we got, like, remember that whole week where we got people writing in, talking about Dern being on the show? I don't yeah. understand that. So Duncan and Bo is quite simply in the name. <laughs> Crazy yeah. people. Yeah. I, the, we've never had a guest on this show. It's like, we, we both do shows with guests all the time. Mm-hmm. This ain't one of them. Thank you, Bo. Thank you for clarifying that. So I think it was the 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 court psyops is that what he calls himself that had been giving us some some stick about that online. Don't know what you're on about court. All I'm going to say is drugs are bad. Okay. Yeah, you know, somebody's gone squirrely in the in the head. I think. Yep. Uh, and his initials are court psyops. Um, <laughs> but folks, <laughs> before we can, can we lightly pivot um, the conversation into uh, a subject you brought before we do, or what we've been watching uh, about something you brought up on your Morbid Monday, which I found really interesting. That doesn't sound like the Morbid Monday I know, but go on. Uh, it was specifically to do with a Cannes Film Festival. Yeah, I, I I do think this is an interesting topic. Yes. Yep. Cannes! Cannes! <laughs> From Which is- the palm door, <laughs> I spit at thee. Buried alive. Admiral <laughs> Kirk. Uh, so, recap the story for, for the listeners that might not be aware and those who have not checked it Morbid Monday I spit on you. Yeah, all right. So, the, the basic idea was that Netflix uh, original films are not being allowed uh, to enter uh, can competitions because they decided, like, hey, these don't appear in movie theaters and therefore they're not movies. Or they're not they're not in in competition with other films that are released in theaters, uh, creating yeah. a very 
uh, arbitrary kind of line between what is a real movie and what is not a real movie in my mind. Yeah. 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 Um, I have like strong thoughts on this. Because uh, this came up last year as well, um, mostly off the back of that. What was that that movie, Okja? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, for the guy who did uh, The Host. Yeah. So that movie played at Cannes last year, um, much to the chagrin of uh, a lot of people at the festival who deemed it shouldn't have been selected at all because it was direct to Netflix and, and thus did not merit the same criticism that one would give a movie that was seen in the, the theatre, um, you know, or at a cinema. Oh, uh, the theatre. Oh, theatre. Um, I think this is just downright snobbery, like the genuine downright snobbery. And there's a couple of reasons I think it is. Um, one, the biggest one is the prerequisite of what they're saying is that movies that play at the cinema play everywhere, and they don't. Um, a lot of movies that play at Cannes, I, I would have to travel easily 100 miles to see it in some dingy independent cinema because it's only playing one in Scotland. Yeah, right? yeah, there is so, a, a little bit of the, yeah, like, our movies are fancy. They, look, yeah. uh, it, look at this art house theatre that is yeah, playing I this mean, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think I think to to try and elevate one movie over the other by giving it some sort of extra credential because it's played in a cinema um, I think is narrow-minded in that aspect because not all movies get the same cinematic run, nor should they you know, in, in fairness you know, a, a blockbuster movie that's going to bring in a lot of money should play at as many cinema screens as possible to maximise that, whether you know, like something like the, the Florida Project, small indie movie shot on an iPhone um, shouldn't you know what I mean? That that movie, even though it's fucking great and everyone should watch The Florida Project um, and also listen to the episode that me and Bo did with the director's previous work, which was Tangerine, which was a movie we both thought was fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good movie. You, yeah, really, really good. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, a movie like that does not get a wide cinema release um, and thus is not open to everyone. So it's, it's almost like saying that it's almost elevating it to an elitist form that, you know, only movies that should be considered for, for can selection might be movies that the general public can't see. And I think there's a degree of snobbery about that that I don't agree. Second thing I would touch on, and you, you kind of made the point and then you gave the other side of the coin later on, um, which was that the theatre experience elevates a movie. And I would agree and disagree with that. I think in the right environment with the right audience it definitely elevates a movie but sometimes can elevate a movie to a like i have laughed at comedies and cinemas that i've watched afterwards and not found anywhere near as funny and the reason i've found it nowhere near as funny is because i was laughing at the reaction of other people laughing at a movie um it's the same as like when i go and see a horror movie i tend to find like horror movies at the cinema i will come away more judging how scary a movie is by how the audience are scared as opposed to myself because I don't easily get scared at movies anymore. Just from the sheer volume of horror movies I've seen, I, I, it just doesn't get oh, me as easy. In fact, I'm more, li- I, I'm more likely to... I'm more likely to have an effect by a horror movie at my in my home 
watching it myself than I am watching it with a large crowd. But, you know, I've come away thinking, oh, that movie was, you know, like a, a, a really scary movie because the audience were, were scared by it. Um, but on the flip side of that, and you talked about cinema etiquette, general cinema etiquette these days puts me off going to the cinemas. Um, so, once again, if you're viewing these movies at Cannes, uh, Cannes! Cannes! You're viewing them there. You know I mean? <laughs> you know, I love saying it. <laughs> if you're viewing those movies at Cannes, right, and, and let, let me put it this way, Cannes notorious for, like, terrible cinema etiquette. People boo movies. Like audibly boo movies, people have walked out. Remember, remember when they? Uh, we've spoken about this before. They booed, and and uh, they booed and walked out during Fire Walk with me at Cannes because they thought it was you know atrocious and hellish. And me and you've spoke about our undying love for that movie. I love that only grows stronger the years that move on. Yeah, it's um, true. And, and this it, is it's what I'll be buried with. Yeah, it's the same audience. It's the same, well, same, same festival that gave him a standing ovation on episodes one and two of the new season of Twin Peaks this time last year. So, you know, the, the, the waves of hypocrisy are rife. You know, two episodes out of context which need to rely on the existence of Firewalk with me, standing ovation. A movie which, you know, fills in the blanks, is fully emotional, great acting, quirky, funny, and like a really underrated piece of David Lynch cinema, booed and jeered. So, can are in no position to be sitting there dictating what people, what, what should classify as a movie and what shouldn't. And then there's further points on top of that. Um, like a movie like Cloverfield, which was one of the examples you mentioned. Cloverfield was set for a full cinema run, and then the studio pulled it at the last minute and then put on Netflix. So at one point, someone had decided that was a cinema movie, and then the studio made the decision it was no longer a cinema movie. So can we side with what a studio thinks, as opposed to the original comments of it being a cinema movie, which I, f- I find a bit weird and a bit warped. And Martin Scorsese, this year, or beginning the next year, is about to put out the most expensive VOD movie made of all time, which is going to star Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and Robert De Niro, but according to Cannes, it shouldn't get a look in. Directed by Scorsese, starring, you know, two of the greatest actors of all time and Joe Pesci. Um, And somehow that movie doesn't merit because it's made for a streaming platform. I just don't understand it. If what they're saying is that a movie can only qualify for Cannes, purely if it plays in a cinema, whether that's one or many or, you know, have a a short run or whatever. I I genuinely do not understand the snobbery that comes into that. There's plenty, trust me, there are plenty of movies that come into the cinema that are a fucking joke, that are horrendous. Like, uh, go and see any of those fucking like hangover sequels that get full cinematic runs and go and sit down and tell me that, you know, that movie's, you know, in a different class because it had a cinema run. Fuck off. It's it's pure snobbery from an industry that is petrified, absolutely petrified, that it's going the way of the dinosaur. And I loved how you likened it to the music industry. 
that that idea of when things started to go digital, you know, people panicked. The the reason the music industry has like what halved, if not more, in terms of profits and all the rest, is that they didn't jump on it quick enough. They didn't embrace the new medium quick enough. VHS, like rental stores and all the rest, have gone the way of the dinosaur as well because they didn't embrace digital outlets quick enough. And you need to, you need to follow where the audience go. The audience dictate how media will be consumed. Like, newspapers have had to do it, you know, like, they they understand the direction of where it's going and no one's saying that cinema shouldn't exist anymore, far, far from it. Um, But this level of snobbery here is is just going to... I'm not saying your average Joe's going to give a fuck what the Cannes Film Festival thinks. But for those that are invested in the media themselves, um, I think to say that something like a Gerald's Game or a 1922, like you mentioned, um, or, you know, a Hush, to, to turn around and say that these movies are in a, are in a lower class because they never played at a cinema, I think is asinine, I think it's wrong, I think it's backwards, and it does nothing to improve the standings or the outlook of an elite clique of people who, let's be honest, in the last year uh, have been proved vastly to be um, power-hungry, rapists, molesters, you know, the list goes on. So, I think um, maybe being a bit more down to earth, being a bit more humble and appreciating all facets of the media and medium uh, of film is a bit better than saying, oh, well, you're on the world's biggest platform like for, for consuming movies and TV. So, yeah, you're instantly discounted. So, that you know, the biggest platform's gone. I would be like saying that one of your massive Cinemaplexes companies, I don't know who does it uh, over in America, but like a Cineworld in the UK, anything that plays at a Cineworld instantly gets disqualified because it's a lesser rung of multiplex and we only like Odeon in the UK or something like that. I just find it, I find it silly. I, re- I really, really do. And um, I, I don't think it does anything to help their image. Now, the argument could be who cares about their image? You know, your average Joe. Um, who watches movies probably doesn't care what you know what what's happening at the Cannes Film Festival. To be honest with you, but I think it's important. I think other festivals and other critics take their lead from what the big, the, like the well-known, world-renowned festivals are talking about, and, and the yeah. ways of movies and and all the rest, and to to um, kind of black mark out a whole section of media just because it doesn't conform to one standard, which is a standard that's nowhere near as popular as it was even five, ten years ago, doesn't drive people out to the cinema. If anything, it keeps people in their houses. So, yeah, it's my two cents on it, Bo. Yeah, and I don't disagree with any of that. Um, I I think, for me, the nuance of it is the the undeniable fact that the experience of seeing a movie in the theater is a different experience. Yeah. And and I don't know that I agree that that's a better experience, but I also do agree it changes perception. And 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 it, 
it it fascinates me, and I think that that can can can. Yeah, I think that their attitude is indicative of part of the industry as mm-hmm. a whole that doesn't know what the fuck to do about Netflix and Amazon getting into the business of making and distributing films because yeah. it goes around their entire business model. Mm-hmm. You know? So that is a threat and and by ignoring the problem to some extent of saying, well, these aren't real movies, so we're not going to, you know, it, the can part of it is the symptom, you know, it is the, uh, the, the obvious, uh, manifestation of this attitude that, Hey, if we pretend like these aren't real movies, then maybe people won't say, stay at home to watch a Netflix premiere event instead mm-hmm. of going to the movies to see, you know, like, Hey, we're opening fucking Avengers 12. And at the same time, Netflix drops an entire season of stranger things. Mm-hmm. Does that start to affect the marketplace? And, and at what point would Netflix want to kind of get into that pissing match you know yeah i don't know yeah it's, yeah it's super interesting to me i don't think is i think it's really short-sighted because i think it then on some level affects what directors well, it depends what you want to do as a director if you if you really want to stamp your name in the sand um and you know, get the accolades and do well at things like Cannes and the Oscars and all the rest. It forces you to pass up opportunities to do really like Netflix. We we know one thing right now is Netflix is prepared to take a gamble on directors and media and content, um, and it, it appears to be a bit of a freer system to do things to allow directors to to uh, show a bit of expression in a way which. You know, like, studios just will not do it at the moment. Like, studios are, like, numb when it comes to that. It's Everything's done by committee, almost, uh, to make a movie. And I think there's, like, as things move on, some of the really, like, I think of some of the projects that have bombed on Netflix that had a lot of money. That Bright movie, for example, the Will Smith movie, which is not terrible. It's not the worst movie, Um, you know, like... That Rotten Tomatoes said it was. It really wasn't. It was an average movie. Um, but there was a lot of money fucking flung at that. A shed load of money. Um, and it seemed like a, a weird project for something like a Netflix to do. But on the flip side of that, to balance it out, look at Hush. This incredibly well, tight, you know, well-paced, well-acted, beautifully shot, streamlined horror movie. But I think that's so, kind of the 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 thing is that uh, I looked this up. This is an actual number, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Netflix has about 118 million subscribers globally. Mm-hmm. So let's say you make a movie and only 10 percent of your subscriber base like it. Yep. That is 11, almost 12 million people mm-hmm. that are like, man, that fucking movie was great. I would mm-hmm. much rather 
watch this for free than spend money on this thing that I probably won't like. And and that's how they can be. You know, I brought, I brought this up on Morbid Mondays. The genius of Netflix is they don't have to play to all of their subscribers. Of course not. They play to communities of, of subscribers. And they're like, hey... Uh, you like horror movies? Check this out. Here's Hush. Here's 1922. Here's Gerald's Game. Here's Before I Wake that was sitting on a shelf. Uh, here's Stranger Things. Here's this new show, Requiem. You know, like, here's all this shit for you guys. Hey, do you have kids? Here's Fuller House. By the way, we're bringing but back this other that's what cinema's supposed to do as well, though. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not Netflix's fault that studios have become so jaded that unless it's a, like a, a unless they can construct a universe of 10 movies spanning the next 10 years are not interested in doing it unless it can you know unless we can concoct two or three sequels to to basically follow identically the same formula of this move that generated a lot of money but will substitute male characters for female characters or vice versa um that's not netflix's fault that's studios faults and studios are yeah. to blame for the state of the industry, yes, streamers are as well. People that illegally download, for sure. But it, it goes hand in hand. Where possible, I will go and see a movie in the cinema. Um, the reason I do that, well, one, I have a card that I pay monthly to that allows me, you know, access whenever I want uh, to go and see movies. But on the flip side of that, you know... If there's a movie that comes up that I want to see, I want to see it in the cinema. Because there is that, that kind of, there is that enjoyment level of getting out of the house and, you know, going somewhere else and you get your popcorn, you sit down in a room, you get sensory overload from a giant screen and 7.1 ceram sound and all those things as well. That being said, I will maybe only go and see a movie once a month at the cinema. Maybe twice, yeah. depending on what comes out. Because just in in general, cinema, I don't think caters really all that well anymore. For like, see if you see if you're not interested in like massive. If you're not interested in massive sort of comic book universe movies, then there's not that many blockbusters you can go and see over the summer because those are the big ones. I'm not saying you don't get any because that's not true, but, you, you know, you just don't... You need to be invested in those movies to an extent or really be able to just go in and switch off and enjoy. Um, I think... I personally think there's... If anything, it's harder to just... like I remember when I was younger and I would just go and see a movie on a whim. And that would cost me money. Nowadays, it costs me less money to go and do that, but I'm more selective about it. And it's not because of my time. I just think that that it doesn't care for it. If Netflix has the ability to drop tons of content like a cluster bomb to make sure it hits everyone. I think cinema should be doing that as well. I don't, you know, I I think you can't you can't you can't blame and discount or. Yeah, you can't blame or, or discount the like a, a platform which is prepared to take risks or prepared to to seek out you know specific genres of movies or or styles of movies or demographics of movies to fit their subscription base. I think that's just in general what cinema should be doing. Um, and if studios are unprepared to do that or unwilling to be a bit more ballsy 
with things then. We spoke a bit before, that's what makes Blumhouse such an interesting model for horror, is that the, I mean, I, I out with the Purge movies, and I can't remember if the Conjuring movies are Blumhouse. Probably. Yeah, out with those movies, um, they, they tend not to jump into sequels of their content, you know what I mean? You tend to just get one and done. And then they move on. Like the ones that do huge, huge, huge business, maybe a sequel. Um, but it's not the instant reaction of what they're doing. Whereas I feel when, you know, a Universal or a Warner Brothers put out a movie, they're almost looking for that spin of a sequel before the movie comes out. And that's how you find out what two, three days after a movie's been released, whether a sequel's been greenlit. I just yeah, find that a really cynical money money mate, and that's that is the issue with Hollywood. But they must to like can wants you to praise these studios for their what their creativity and ingenuity. I I just I find the hypocrisy like almost nauseous. Um, it's it's just as yeah. I I can think of two or three of my favourite movies I saw last year, like all-time favourite movies I saw last year, I saw on Netflix. Um, and they were Netflix products. And Yeah, yeah. and, and I, not I just... just yeah. not. I mean, Netflix is the mm-hmm. prime suspect here, but uh, The Big Sick is a fantastic film mm-hmm. that was Amazon Studios. Yeah. So Amazon is... It's starting to catch up. Like, you know, I don't think they've got quite the the foothold that something like Netflix Didn't they just does. put out that new Woody Allen film as well, which I quite fancied? The one about, it's got uh, Belushi in it. The one that's set in the, it's like the 40s. Um, oh, yeah. I believe I believe they did. I, I, I haven't seen that yet. but they And it got great you know, reviews. Uh, Man in the High Castle is, mm-hmm. is supposed to be quite good. I haven't really watched that. Um yeah, it's weird because there hasn't been an Amazon series or movie yet other than probably Big Sick is the best of the bunch so far. Mm-hmm. But there hasn't been that one or two yet. Like there I I can point to five or six things that Netflix has done that I think are fucking great. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and Amazon is not quite there yet, but you know, they're swinging, man. They're they're doing interesting stuff. So at some point, Amazon they will. have an endless capital as well at the moment. Netflix yeah. are spending money they don't have, but Amazon has an endless capital to start doing that. So you just you know that when they finally decide to take the plunge and go all in, and that sort of content, it's it's a matter of time. Um, yeah, if yeah, they can justify I, themselves to be like, you know what, fuck the theaters, we're just going to do this on our platform. Yeah, uh, it, yeah, that's going to be an interesting day where you start to really see those battle lines being drawn. Yeah, um, I ju- it's I, fascinating. I just, like, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird time we find ourselves in. That yeah, I I think stories like that don't personally. I I, I feel that they don't aid um general ge- the, the general movement of of film. At all, if anything, they just draw battle lines, and I don't think um, at this stage you want to be drawing those battle lines because I don't think things are ever going to go back to the the way they were ten years ago with cinema. Um, right. It, it's sort of like if I suddenly took the stance that I was against gay marriage, mm-hmm. and it's just like uh, you're too late. 
Like yeah, you, you, <laughs> you, 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 you lost. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, ha- you, they have to get with it. But it, it didn't surprise me when you announced it because, like I say, this whole debate happened um, this time last year, uh, specifically with Okja, which the they were at at the time of that coming out. It did play at Can, and the big issue was should it been should it have been allowed to play at Can because it was made by Netflix for Netflix. Um, so they've obviously taken a little year um, in a room of pretentiousness uh, and returned with the answer, which, to be honest, we all probably thought they were going to do, but some of us held out hope that common sense would have would have rang true. Um, and that was a huge aside at the start there. But I, I think it's I think these sort of things are quite interesting because we're we're obviously talking about we've been embedded in doing TV shows, uh, and TV's really. To me, in a lot of respects, TV is the movie killer at the moment. Like a oh, lot of yeah. people, are, you know, what I mean, binging TV uh, shows like Game of Thrones, Westworld. You know, like these are the things that people are are staying at home to watch uh, and spend money on watching and box sets and and, and whatnot. That are Walking also helping. Dead, to- Fear the Walking Dead. Oh yeah, like huge numbers Walking of people. Dead. At this stage now, I, I think as, I think it's interesting for us being removed from the the movie stuff that we were doing when we started to keep our toes in uh, to what's going on because like one day when we run out of TV shows to talk about and we end up going back to movies, the, there's a it's only it's not been that long but the platforms themselves have have elevated their content quite a bit since since yeah. we were doing our, and that's not been that long yeah. it's been a few years you're absolutely right already elevated the whole thing so yeah that that uh okja movie it it ain't no the host but it's it's real cute uh it's a, I, I, thought, I, thought I thought it was a very clever movie i thought at times the message was a bit too uh, ham-fisted but for the sure. most part like very few things are going to be the host the host's a fucking incredible movie <laughs> it's really like if you've made the host, you're already in the Hall of Fame, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. It's like yeah. uh, the guy who did Train to Busan. It's like, hey, oh, yeah. fine, whatever you do now is fine. Like yeah, you whatever can you want, do just, just go do it. <laughs> like, I mean, and, it, and even if it's terrible, you still made Train to Busan. So yeah, uh, yeah it right. Uh, and but but that's the thing. Like you said, you know, the uh, not to continue this tangent too much longer. But the thing that is most exciting about Amazons and Netflix and Hulu and all those platforms uh, is that because they need to make a splash, mm-hmm. they're willing to do weird shit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm all for that. Like, uh, Hulu has that show, The Path, I think, is the name of it. That's all about oh, a cult yeah. with Aaron Paul. I haven't watched a, a scene of it. And I'm like, why haven't I watched that? That sounds really good, mm-hmm. and and I've heard good things about it. So it it you know all the little stuff like well uh, the um, wild wild country, which I have mm-hmm. still yet to finish, but I'm 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 the same. Along. I think I'm halfway through it now. So yeah, I, I I think we're probably about the same spot, but continues to be super interesting, and it's just I haven't had a lot of time to sit down and watch that kind of stuff lately. But mm-hmm. when I do, that's kind of what I throw on, and uh, it's it's really good. I watched an episode earlier today. Um, so yeah, you know, it, it, we we do live in interesting times when it comes to 
how the industry is is bending to meet the fact that the way that is both produced and consumed is changing under everyone's feet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fascinating. But anyway, people didn't come here for insight, Duncan. They came here for us to make noises. And the way we get to that is to start with uh, what we've been watching recently. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, like I said, I haven't had a ton of time to watch a bunch of stuff, but there is one thing I ser- I certainly want to talk about, and I may interrupt you if you bring it up first. So, uh, what have you been watching, sir? Hey, so I, I want to very quickly touch on two things. Um, the both good actually. I've I've not seen anything to the best of my knowledge yet that I th- well I have, but I have to hold back on that uh, until I record a podcast on the stairs episode. Um, I'm gonna. All I'm gonna say is wasp nado. What? <laughs> wasp nado. Is that a real movie? That is a real movie. Bass picked it as his ten pound bargain bin thing. He picked three movies for I ten pound. How, how have I not show. seen this? It's fucking awful. Um, it's like really. No. It's like a. It's like a, a highlight reel of how not to make a movie. Um, Oh my god! Right, you'll hear me talk about. You'll hear Baz talk about it on an upcoming episode of podcast. And says, but that's not what I want to talk about. Two things I want to talk about. First thing, hey un- Christy, look out! It's the Wasnado. <laughs> but there isn't like that's the yeah. There isn't a Wasnado in it, uh, which is false. Habit, but I'm not getting in it. <laughs> what? Not getting in it. All right, all right, all right. Don't let me pick it. So the first thing I want to talk about is Unseen, which is the movie I've seen in the interim at the cinema. Um, yeah. So it's a new Steven Soderbergh movie. Um, we have actually discussed a Steven Soderbergh movie on Duncan and Bo many moons ago. Uh, you picked, uh, the side um, effects, which I think is an outstanding uh, yep. mystery film. Yeah, so that, that Soderbergh's like one of these guys that's really done a bit of everything. You know what I mean? Like in, in his career as a, a writer and a director, he's really covered pretty much all the bases. The only thing he hasn't really ever done is a horror movie. Which he now has done, and like fair play to the guy. If you're gonna do something, go all in on it. So he not only made a horror movie, but he shot it all using an iPhone Seven Plus, which is what Unseen is shot on, <laughs> um, with not the biggest named cast in the world, but it was all shot in secret. Uh, so very few people knew about this project at all until the advertising started appearing for it. So there's this kind of secret Soderbergh project, which if you're Steven Soderbergh and you are making a movie, that is generally the sort of thing that makes some waves. You know, people start talking about well, it and entertaining. And he had all, also pretty famously said he wasn't going to make any more movies either. Yep. So he kind of stepped back from it, but he obviously something has lit a fire. Uh, under the guy, so he went away and did it. Um, and I think, like to me, this is the first Marmite movie or the first kind of controversial movie of 2018 for the horror community. And that I get the feeling that you're either going to hate it <laughs> or you're going to get into it. And I definitely got into it. Uh, there are shades of, interestingly enough, there's a sh- there are shades of side effects in there. Uh, this idea of the, you know, like an, an actual commentary on the medical industry. If you're prepared to poke a bit deeper uh, into the subtext of the movie, there is a there is a bit of social commentary there, which I think is kind of cool. Um, but I just I found it as 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 riddled with cliche. 
you could tell that this guy hasn't made a horror movie before because it feels like about five or six different horror movies all within the same genre. Um, but what they did really, really, really well in the movie is casting their villain, uh, who is played by um, the dude, that uh, Josh from Blair Witch. Josh! Yeah, Josh! He's in it, right? And he plays the, the stalker of uh, our main heroine um, in the movie. And he's fucking brilliant. He's like really, really, really creepy and really, really weird. And I, I kind of thought he almost stole the movie, in my opinion. But, I, I mean, it's it's the, the, the movie itself is, is slightly misleading in that it sets up this premise of... Um, you know, this woman, like, in the first 10 minutes, we find out that she's moved city um, because she was being stalked. And everywhere she looks, she thinks she sees this guy. So she goes and speaks to a psychiatrist who works in a mental hospital. And they basically check her in without her permission uh, for 24-hour observation. And while she's there, she thinks that her stalker is an orderly in the, in the facility. And the movie's premise, like, the way it's been advertised is, is she... Insane or is she unseen? You know what I mean? What the, um, what the fuck is the difference? Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like, is this guy real or is he not real? Is it is he in her head or then is he, he actually it's a sane or insane? Yeah, not unseen. So yeah, I know. Like, and plus to me, like any use of the word unseen tickles me because that's the American name for Tenebrae. That's how Tenebrae was. <laughs> Right. That's it. Was launched in America was unseen. Dario Argento was unseen because Americans <laughs> oh, love just changing names. Uh, yeah, it's I, just like here's some made up word. How about that? Yeah, like unseen. Um, so, but the movie doesn't really take all that long to answer it, like that question, and then you're stuck in this kind of psychological thriller horror movie. Which really, the last like 20 minutes really ramps up the pace. And it's weird and goofy and funny in places and kind of awkward and kind of endearing. Uh, and there's shades of misery in it. Um, misery the movie, not just misery in general for the audience. Um, and I kind of thought, I thought it was ballsy as fuck. I thought it was a really ballsy movie from a guy like Soderbergh to say, you know, I'm going to do my first horror movie and I'm going to make it lo-fi as fuck. I'm going to shoot it on a phone. Um, I'm gonna, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do this movie, which doesn't reinvent the wheel, but doesn't have to, and it's going to lean into two performances by two actors that are are really good, like really, really good. The the woman whose name escapes me has done a couple of things I like, but she's about to do the new uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movie, um, the next American one that's coming out which I believe disregards the one that Fincher did. Um, oh, that's a shame. Which I, I, I can't remember the name. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought I thought it was surprising, to say the least. Um, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. I'd be really, really keen to hear your thoughts on it. Because I think Claire there's a... There's... Foy, by the way, is the actress's name. Yeah. She's very good. She's very good in it. Um I'd be interested to hear your take on it because I think there's a whole hell of a lot in it you will enjoy. I think there's a few things that will annoy you, 
but I think for the most part, it will be a movie that gets the Ransdell seal of approval. Um, I just felt, I just, it was just a fun, weird little movie. And there, yeah, I, I, I still I couldn't get my head around the fact that Soderbergh had been, had directed it. it. It felt so weird and out of place. But then I was like, yeah, if he was going to do a movie, why not? Why not this movie? He's done everything else. So why not? Why not go the other yeah. way? Um, so I, I, I kind of love that. The second thing I want to talk about uh, very, very quickly um, is we're talking about binging things. Uh, Santa Clarita Diet, season two, um, is fucking amazing. <laughs> Actually amazing. I think it's... I think it's miles better than season one. Um, and I think the reason it's miles better than season one is they have found their niche and tone perfectly like 100% perfect I think Drew Barrymore is brilliant in it I think Timothy Oliphant steals the show I think he is absolutely amazing but what I love the most and this is kind of a spoiler but not a spoiler at the same time uh, is Nathan Fillion who is dear to my heart head. certainly he's a zombie head oh. in it Bo. it's the That's, greatest thing all right. this- it's the greatest thing I've ever do I need Do I need to watch season one, or can I just jump into season two? Um, I would watch season one. The thing, the thing about that show is it's like 25-minute episodes, and there's only like 10 episodes in season one. So what's that? It's like five hours? It's like two minutes yeah. being. And that's you through season one. Um, I would do that just so you get a bit of context. Uh, and season one's good. I mean, it's really, really... Re- season one is like Ash versus Evil Dead season one, and season two is like Ash versus Evil Dead season two. And, like, you know, they just found their stride and just made it infinitely better. Um, so, yeah, I can't I can't recommend that enough. Uh, I want to see three or four seasons more of that show because I think they've nailed it um, perfectly. I think Oliphant's just amazing. I like him as... A, I've always liked him as an actor, but he is, he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> he's like so, so funny in the show. Like Drew Barrymore is known for like comedy and whatnot as well as our, our more serious roles. And Fillion is obviously known for his comedy and, and our comedic performances at times. Oliphant is not a guy I think about when I think about comedy. No, I think of like grittier no, roles, but... darker roles. His comedic timing is perfect. Like, like actually to the point where I'm like that, I kind of really want to see more comedies with Timothy Oliphant in them. Uh, yeah, you need to get on that train um, and you'll catch up super quick. It's like, it is a breezy watch, man. You'll fly right through it. Me and my wife got through the whole season two and two nights. Um, super easy. Yeah, my, my concern done. is I don't like Drew Barrymore very much. And I, yeah, don't, but- I don't like watching her say things <laughs> i don't think you're going to be put off by you know what i mean it's everything else that's happening in that show and she's okay. fucking eating people and there's there's really great use of practical effects and you're gonna have a ball even if you don't like the central character you're gonna have a ball okay because I, I everyone else just... is on fire around her it's just very 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 funny show and nathan right. fillion I, you should be watching it just fucking I, I, look that's that's the reason i'm going in uh, it it ain't. I mean, I like Timothy Oliphant just fine, but oh, it's sort of like Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant balance the scales. 
mm-hmm. where it's like Drew Barrymore. I don't want to watch that. And then t- Timothy Oliphant. I do like him, mm-hmm. but then Drew Barrymore. And so I don't watch it. But yeah. now that you're saying Nathan Fillion, he's not much Lady Justice. He's more prominent in season two, and that's where you'll get. And I, I know for a fact you'll find it hilarious. So I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. It's just uh, uh, one of one of those things where it's it's just her voice is one of those voices that I don't like. Yeah, I don't. I don't like listening to her talk ever. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, I know. It, I, but I'm sorry. I like. I think she's a wonderful person. When the things she says, I don't disagree with. Mm-hmm. But her means of communication, i.e., her voice, <laughs> makes me want to punch something. <laughs> but I'll give it a shot. I'll, I, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll bite down on the leather. And 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 go in and maybe and just, like I say, it's like, quick watch. Be quick you're, on the. Here's what I ought to do: is I ought to just mute it when she's talking, and I'll be fine. Put the subtitles on. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think maybe that's the way to play it. So I, I obviously clearly didn't steal your thunder on what you were going to talk about. So the the floor is yours, sir. Yeah, dude. Have you seen the terror yet? No, it's not. It's not played in the UK yet. I believe uh, it's either tonight or tomorrow. I think so this is the new Ridley Scott. It well, he's a producer on it. Let me. All right, let me give you the the CV on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, what you need to know first and foremost is that Jared Harris is pretty much the main character. That's good. I like that. You've got me. You've That's... got me interested already. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sharon Hines. Is mm-hmm. that how you pronounce his his first name? Mm-hmm. Uh, is a- also the number two on the show. Oh, in right. a fucking amazing performance. It is the equivalent. Uh, I, I believe it was um, Andrew uh, Valdez that had said that he had seen the show and compared it to like a little bit of the thing. Yeah, in in the in the Arctic setting, uh, a healthy dose of a movie that I'm real fond of called Master and Commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the Russell uh, Crowe one, isn't it? It is. Paul yeah, Bettany, um, as a matter yeah, of fact, is no, in that I'm as well. I'm a fan of that, but I didn't think it was bad. I just I'm, I don't like Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is to me what Drew Barrymore is to you. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And and I I I'm not crazy about him in that movie, but I think. The story is really cool. Story's and, really good. Yeah, yeah. And and so there's that element. There's uh, it's it's a hundred percent a horror show. It is not a drama with horror trappings. It is a horror show, and but it also is very much the prim and proper. We're we're British naval uh, soldiers out trying to find this passage through the uh, the Arctic. And everybody's got a stiff upper lip and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. when shit starts to go bad and like that composure starts to break down, uh, and that the first two episodes are what they aired uh, here in the states last night, and I was totally in it. It it's uh, it strikes me as what are referred to as drawing room stories mm-hmm. uh, of, of like the English gentleman sitting around a fire with a, a snifter of brandy, <laughs> telling. Tales of of whimsy and the supernatural, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, like really good storytellers painting this this picture of, you know, well, the strangest thing I ever heard. <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. And uh, there's a scene, man, that is it's not as good as this but it is reminiscent of it but it the the scene from the witch where they're exercising the boy mm. and just like how intense that scene is yeah yeah there small spoiler there is a scene with a, a consumptive sailor who is clearly dying mm-hmm. and he starts having these visions that culminate in him screaming it's here to warn us, run, run away, and fucking dies. And it got me, man. Like, from that scene on, I was like, what is fucking happening, the terror? And it just kept getting cooler. Like, every time a new scene would start, it was something I really wanted to see. Uh, the relationships between all the characters, like, it's two ships uh, one is called the Erebus and one is called the Terror. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, forging this passage or, or trying to. And due to kind of a bad decision, they get frozen in the ice flow as winter comes. And so the ships are frozen in the ice. And they're trying to find a way out, essentially, of this predicament. But there's something out there. And... It's so good, Duncan. There's like a supernatural <laughs> element to it, but there's also very much a physical thing, and it's it's fucking cool. I can't wait for the next episode. It is it's the thing I have I've been most excited about in some time. Uh, as far as just like I can't wait for the next episode of this thing, and I'm kind of glad I can't binge it because it is so kind of literary and and I don't mean that in, an, in to suggest that it's slow moving it's just very much telling a story and there are scenes that are just all about character and there's nothing forwarding the plot but anytime you put you know uh Sharon Hines and Jared Harris across the table from one another and watch them act at each other mm-hmm. it's fucking good um and Jared Harris's character is amazing because he's kind of the rogue captain who's, you know, a little world weary and just kind of doesn't give a fuck anymore. Doesn't really give a shit about Sharon Hines and who's it, like his character is fascinating because he's a, a captain who seems to play kind of fast and loose with the lives of his crew but is also all about like inspirational speeches and how important every crew member is to him and uh, is a bit of a, a hypocrite. And, oh, it's so good, man. I can't wait till you see. I can't wait to talk to you about it because uh, when shit gets good, it gets real good on that show. Um, mm. I, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, I was very much aware of it coming on, but there's not been much of... See, I'm I'm so detached from... I don't have like any like cable TV or that. I, I purely have like a a Prime subscription and Netflix subscription. Um, so I've I've missed all the the advertisements for it, all the kind of teaser trailers and all the rest. Just things that have popped up on Facebook where people like the what I had heard was the book was reminiscent of the thing. So I was like, oh right, that's interesting and all the rest. Um, 
but the imagery and posters I've seen by of it had been like really interesting to the point that I thought, you know, I'll, I'll check it out at some point. But you saying that makes me want to check it out now. So uh, I dare say by the next time we're speaking, I will have seen the first two episodes. Great. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, well, I certainly hope so. Cause the next time we're recording is in April. Oh yeah. Well, I've, yeah. I've probably have watched a, a fair few. <laughs> yeah. Um, in fact, there was part of me that's like, Duncan, fuck this X-Files thing. Let's just do <laughs> the terror. But, and we'll just start a, 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 an in-betweener season right now. We, we, uh, we, we, <laughs> but no, we need to take a break. I understand that. Uh, no, I, I was about to say, we need right. to finish the X-Files. We, we need to find out how it all finishes. I mean, do we? Do we really? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess we do. But all right. Uh, one, one <laughs> other thing I will mention uh, is I watched... The series uh, Manhunt Unabomber. Oh, the AKA whole thing. Manhunt Unabomber. Um, <laughs> the whole thing, or like. I did, yeah, I watched the whole thing. It was, what, 10 episodes? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah about it, 40 it, it minutes. A, it was apiece. a breezy watch. It wasn't, it wasn't too bad, but. What did you think? Yeah, I, I, um, I thought it was okay. Mm-hmm. I, I think Paul Bettany's good in it. Yeah. Um, I thought, yeah, I, I, he's the to me the best part of it. I wish. I wish it had felt less like a procedural network television show. Yeah, and yeah. been a bit more Mind Hunter, which feels more cinematic and it feels darker a little bit. This felt very like it felt like a super great episode of Law and Order. Yeah, well, what one of them? One of them has the pedigree of David Fincher behind it. Another one doesn't. <laughs> so. You know what I mean? uh, yeah. Well, of course, yeah. So I think that um, and, I think that plays a lot. I think that does play a lot. I think I, I don't disagree with you. It does. It did feel very much like a a kind of police procedural like story that had been extended out over a couple of episodes. And um, it's not often that I watch a TV show where the central hero is someone that I just openly don't like. He's not a nice guy. <laughs> At all, no, no. And I think that's maybe they're. Tr- I, I don't think he was supposed to be. Um, I think they were trying to liken him to the Unabomber, and the extent how you know obsession and uh, and all these things. I, I think maybe, but he just wasn't a nice guy like at all. So, um, like the more he was like ignoring his family, the angrier I was getting watching. Yeah, look <laughs> at uh, fucking kind kids, of man. But. I mean, you're right. The the biggest flaw of this Manhunt show is that a thing like Mindhunter exists. Yeah. And so it lives in the shadow of a clearly much better show that is thematically kind of similar. Yep. And so, yeah, it was like, it, it's an also ran <laughs> to, to Mindhunter, but it's, yeah, it's kind of fun. And I'm super interested in... Um, in serial killer and mm-hmm. uh, uh, behavioral science, like to me, that's the interesting stuff, and and that's why I like man, um, not manhunt, but mind hunter, yeah, uh, so much more is that it's very much about how do we understand the psychology of something that's kind of unfathomable, yeah, you well, know, it's like, like discovering like how- patterns and things which you never knew existed before, and actually interviewing the people to get 
to get the the templates or blueprints to to then carry forward for future profiling as I think is infinitely fascinating. Last podcast on yeah. the left just now are, have just finished um, their two part episode on the the guy from Alaska whose name yeah Robert something Hansen? or other Robert something Hansen? like that yeah yeah uh, uh, and. Um, the in the in the second part they talk about the the police uh, in Alaska reaching out to the FBI, in particular the guy behind Mind Hunter, um, uh, who takes credit for the, this guy's capture. But they're saying that obviously he would do that because they wrote the book, etc. Um, but their profile, having just looked at the notes and not knowing anyone up there, the profile is Robert Hansen, like one hundred. Yeah, they they. Nail it, yeah. yeah. I, I've listened to that as well, yeah. and that, that is one of those stories where you're like, "Man, science is kind of cool." Yeah, you know, like, uh, I'm just looking at some notes here and some pictures of dead women, and I can tell you that this guy one has a stutter. How the f- <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, it's has a stutter, is married. Thoughts. Yeah, that yeah, right. Keeps trophies. I know. Right, all that yeah. stuff just from the yeah that. that that stuff is amazing. So, but I, I thought I thought Manhunt uh, was good. Yeah, Paul uh, Bethany's brilliant in it, though. I, I think that's. A, I don't. I, he doesn't do well. I'm not aware of him doing that much anymore. You've obviously said he's off doing Marvel stuff, which, um, oh, it's probably why he's kind of laid back on these things. And I thought the cast was quite interesting for a show that small because the main guy, the main cop, he's been in things like Terminator Salvation. I think there was a bit of buzz about him for a while. Is it Sam yeah, Worthington? It, it, is that your name? Yeah, it was sort of the um, the Taylor Kitsch sort of thing <laughs> of like, maybe? No, no. Turns out, no. Uh, turns out you're not going to be a movie star. We're I, sorry. I, I, you're going to be in movies, but not a star. I want to say that because we, we called out Damien's post earlier on, we're also going to call it Darren Wilson's <laughs> comment. Back on that post, was it, which is a, an actual picture of Wilford Brimley holding a cowboy hat, sitting on a chair, which is an American flag. How does he do it? He's an artist, sir. Uh, that's amazing. Do How does he do it? And we should also we should also talk about the the, the, the Brimley township population. God damn it! Um, yeah, I mean, that, this that made me so happy. This whole season has sort of been the rise of Brimley. <laughs> the rise of Brimley. <laughs> as I think of it. And and yes, it's it's very funny the, the the signs that people made for the, you know, population, goddammit. Uh the, those pieces of of Photoshop goodness uh are amazing and yeah, I haven't seen the Darren one just yet. I'll catch up to that here in a few, but that sounds equally great. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind Buckle of Chum's furniture. Yeah, and Wilfred Brimley, two great tastes that taste great together. I, I've got a feeling that this episode is going to go out in a blaze of Brimley. <laughs> right. I never drew first, but I drew first blood. Goddammit! <laughs> Call me Young Gun. God damn it. Oh. With a brace of Brimley. We've talked about stuff now, which means we're going to have to motivate ourselves to talk about my struggle part four. 
All right, let's let's get into it. We'll uh, we'll take our our first quick break here, ladies and jelly spoons, and be right back. Uh, I say first break as if there are more. Yeah, we're going to take our our one. <laughs> this is your only break. fucking break. <laughs> this is all you get, people. So go to the bathroom, make yourself a sandwich, whatever you got to do, and also, of course, listen to the show being advertised. So we'll be right back and uh, get into this mess of an episode. <laughs> My life fades, the vision dims, all that remains are memories. I remember a time of chaos, ruined dreams, wasted land, but most of all, I remember the podcasts, the man we called Witch. To understand who he was, you have to go back to another time. A time when the doomsday clock ticked ever closer to Armageddon. You can still find The Witch versus the Doomsday Clock podcast by searching for WYCH on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Memories may decline, but movies live forever. All right, uh, Duncan. Yes, the Terror season one, episode one. <laughs> it's entitled "Go for Broke." It is written by David Kajanich. David Duchovny, right? Um... David Duchovny. Um, all right, no, that's uh, that's not what we're doing. Instead, we're doing this stupid episode of this stupid show <laughs> called "My Struggle for." It is directed and written by one Chris Carter, uh, creator of uh, said X Files mm-hmm. uh, show. Um. <sighs> all right, so we begin, Duncan, with Mulder with and Scully a- at the church from the previous episode, where they were declaring their love for each other, and you know, realizing that it could never end this way. Um, so there'd be a natural progression that I don't know. This is the morning after. Maybe Mulder's cooking Scully some eggs. Maybe is that how you? It has to be the morning after. <laughs> uh, anyway, <laughs> it is not Duncan. Oh. Uh, instead, we're we're treated to a previously on the X Files. Uh, where they're like, hey, remember all that stuff that happened in the first episode? Yeah, that <laughs> is pretty much. For for, the, for those viewers that have stuck with us these past 10 weeks, remember that stuff we showed you 10 weeks ago? Where Yeah, where it's all like, hey, remember how the last episode of the last season never happened? Yep. And and there's Joel McHale has uh, a, a internet web show about conspiracy theories mm-hmm. and the cigarette smoking man is William's real dad. Yep. And he kind of in, engineered him with alien DNA, which is why he can shape shift and be a shitty person. And oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get into that. In this episode. <laughs> what a little dick. Honestly, he is, he is, 
He's the fucking worst. He's a terrible person. Um, uh, yeah, but that, that's not... What, and, and Skinner's being and, blackmailed, and there's this alternative to the syndicate who are like the new syndicate, and they're... The Pentaverate? Yeah, they're trying to woo Mulder to help them gain a footing for the space race, um, which you thought was already won, but it wasn't. Um, and yeah, all this stuff pins on the whereabouts of Virium. Right, the thing we have been concerned about every single episode this season. <laughs> Without fear. Of where, 100% Narian episode, uh, because much like this show, Duncan, The X-Files has integrity. Always, always. Would never not... question it, Bo. Never question it. It's uh, all right, but yeah, so all that stuff is going on. Not that they, and the reason that they have to give you a last week on is because that never mattered at any point in this series. No, not at all. Well, episode uh, two, than... maybe a little bit, and that episode where we were actually introduced to William, which I think was maybe episode four. Um, out with that, there's been no connection at all. In fact, Scully has forgotten in most of these episodes that she has a child. Um, right, so. and and Mulder, I mean, we'll get into this later in the most laughable thing that's happened this season, <laughs> but Mulder has been as disinterested in the hunt for William <laughs> as an individual could be and still be kind of looking. Yeah, yeah. Like, all I'm going to say is, if you thought that when me and Bo were laughing at the cold-hearted brutality of Mulder just slicing a guy from ear to ear. You have seen fucking nothing on this episode where the bodies are piled high. <laughs> Mulder's oh, right up there and knows no pants. <laughs> He's gone rogue. Are you the head of the Pentavidus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's totally that. Are you the head of the Pentaverit who is looking for my son William and is also <laughs> also in league with aliens to create a new space program? Yes. Uh, yeah, so the, the fucking balls of this episode. The balls of this episode, Bo, to start off with something and they say 15 hours earlier. As if I no, 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 fuck. wait, wait, wait. It's It's even dumber than that, Duncan. Because we start with the last week on, and then mm. we go to uh, shitty kid William, who's like, my name is Austin Vanderpenis, and <laughs> but that's not really my name. My name is really William, and it's this. So we get this whole. <laughs> we have a flashback to the first episode. Yep. Followed by a flashback to the entire life of William, which is a yep, story. Condensed in, it's condensed into like, what, maybe 45 seconds. And I'll be honest with you, even as a little kid, he's a dick. Yeah. All right. Yeah. He's uh, making people's notes, nose bleeds, ble- bleeps, uh, <laughs> and ears. Uh, these, these bleeds right here. Um, it's a cannonball run reference. Uh, <laughs> you made a cannonball run reference. Uh huh. 
been watching a lot of Burt Reynolds recently. <laughs> These bleeds right here. And it's an outtake from the Cannonball Road, better yet. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we get this whole flashback for William where he's like, uh, as a kid, he knew he had special powers and he was making the sliding door glass explode when he was having a tantrum and making bullies' heads bleed when they got in fights and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And all of this leads up to the uh, the ghoulie uh, episode where <laughs> little little Canadian bow sneak in. Um, yep. <laughs> Where, uh, oh, also in the midst of uh, this flashback, he also has apparently the most useless power I think I've ever seen, which is to turn regular old eggs into baby chickens, which any (laughs) mother chicken can do. And also, that ain't why I bought those eggs, man. I I didn't want a real chicken. With an omelet. Right. I want it. I wanted something sunny side up, not an obligation for the next however long chickens live. <laughs> send it off to college, you know. I gotta take it. To, I gotta send it to chicken college. Yeah, Bo's literally now got a nest egg fund. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> Well, graduating magna cum laude. What are are your plans now that you've graduated chicken college? Ah, chicken graduate school, you say? Yeah, I I like his pluck. Oh, so, don't ask him how he crossed the road, Bo. Don't ask him how he crossed the oh, road. Oh, yeah, very indignant. Hey, how'd you get over here? Ah, <laughs> oh, sorry, Steve. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is kind of it is kind of useless power. But I love I love the fact that he's like going through all these things. He's like, you know, he stood up against the local bully, wowed people with his power of creating an egg into a chicken. Um finally settling the question of what came first the chicken or the egg um and then and then he's like that you know and then in the middle of it i just turned into a criminal <laughs> right and and then i just decided to start fucking with people's lives yeah and... it makes well, the green lights change uh, a junction which causes a lot of vehicles to plow fucking at speed into each other almost killing folk and it just cycles away as if it's nothing i'm like that William, you're doing nothing to make me like you. Not to mention, the reason he's on our radar at all is the fact that in the Ghoulie episode, he created a a scenario in which these two innocent girls, who, by the way, he was dating both of in what is referred to as the Alex P. Keaton, and he makes (laughs) them stab one another. Yep. And you're like, you're a fucking awful kid. I mean, this goes beyond, you know, like, oh, you were just troubled. Like, he might be a serial killer. Yeah, I'm, like, 
the dude from Mindhunter probably has like we could we could send him episode one, and I'm fairly sure like Cliff notes from episode one. I'm fairly sure we're getting a pretty accurate profile coming back and the first line is this teenager is a dick <laughs> yeah yeah oh. it, it i mean it, it underscores the fact that i don't care about this character at all and also to emphasize his dickishness he's like yeah i started noticing these people just hanging out on outside the house uh yeah. in a in a dark van i didn't mention it to my parents who by the way those people also murdered yeah, and, the parents that did everything for me to look after me sent me to umpteen psychiatrists who I also just fucked with. Yeah, who I stories, wasted my, their time. My parents, who I am fully admitted to disappointing with my terrible behavior for no good reason. And yeah, uh, yeah but I he mean, also comes out with he's like that, you know. And I know who my real mother is, and you know, I kind of really want to speak to her, but I don't want to speak to her. And I know who my dad is, and I know I don't like him. So he knows that his dad is the smoking man. Right. Uh, and he knows that he doesn't like him. And I was like, really? Because we, with the behavior we've seen manifest thus far, you and him are going to be best friends. <laughs> Chip off the old block. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're both psychopaths. You got that mm -hmm. in common. Start there. See how you feel about killing the world. Uh, yeah. So so we we have that backstory leading up to the events of the, of the Ghoulie episode. And yeah. then we cut to Mulder on a pier or at the docks with the smoking man. Yeah. Gun trained on Mulder. Yeah. Saying, when I gave you life, I never fathomed a moment when I would be forced to take it away. Yeah. And Mulder says, I don't think you got the gun. I don't think you have the guts, goddammit. <laughs> go ahead pull the goddamn trigger where i come from god damn it when you pull a gun out you use it you point a gun at man you better goddamn well be ready to fire it <laughs> and and so then you hear like they cut away and you hear a gunshot and then we roll credits which mm -hmm. ends with uh what is it um something not memento mori no, it finishes, it finishes with, bet y'all can't wait for my struggle, part five. Uh, Sal Salvador Mundi is what it ends with. and Something death. Yeah, right. No? I mean, all, uh, who gives a shit? Mundy? I don't know. Salvador Mundi. Sounds like a really, sounds like a really bad expressionist painter. Yes, I have five it, Salvador Mundis. His early work, though, when he did Cats at, at oblique angles. <laughs> it is, uh, according to the Wikipedia, Duncan, Salvatore Monday, Mundi is a painting of Christ as Salvatore Mundi by Italian artist Leonardo da Vinci. The painting shows Jesus in Renaissance dress giving a benediction with his right hand raised and two fingers extended, blah, 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 uh, whatever. And... Well, the bit they became blah 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 whatever, which was the important detail, <laughs> right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, a self-referential painting about Jesus, so it, a Messiah figure, right? And I will say that that you've put as much background investigation into that as Chris Carter probably did as well. Yeah, probably so, and and much to my dismay, quite frankly. Um, so. 
<laughs> we cut back to the the doings of uh, the X Files, and it's fifteen hours earlier. So we go from a recap to a flashback to present day to a flashback. The yeah, the, the, fuck yeah, the are we doing? Isn't, is, is, isn't Skinner getting chewed out by Kirsch? Well, and not then we a, get fifteen hours earlier, do we not? Well, uh, yeah. We at first we go to uh, Mulder trying to mm-hmm. find his, his shitty kid at the motel. At the hotel. That's right. So he's at the motel, drives up, uh, speaks to a guy, asks if a teenager has arrived, and the guy's like, "Well, yeah, a teenager who paid me all in hundred dollar bills. Why is he a fugitive?" And Mulder's like, "No, he's my son." And then I'm like, "Oh, oh, Mulder's like obviously finally done what me and Bo have been suggesting." for the past nine weeks, and that is Hunt William down. Um, and then it jumps to Skinner and Kirsch's office, and he's like that, you know, what the fuck is going on, Skinner? I gave you one job. By the way, nice full set of teeth. Looks like none of those are missing. That's that's kind of interesting, because didn't you have an episode where they were falling? Oh, no, we're just forgetting that. Right? I don't, like, yeah, I don't um, know what you're talking about, Duncan. There's integrity. Yeah, my favourite bit like Mulder walks up to speak to the guy at the motel and has to take his glasses. Oh, he's not wearing glasses anymore. No, fuck that storyline as well. Anyway, um, oh, so annoying. So con to fucking nudity. Um, please, someone. Just something. Bueller. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so Kirsch is like, what, what is actually going on right now? Like, this is, this is how fucking preposterous this is. Like, in this scene, Two things happen, Bo, which I couldn't give the tiniest rat's ass about. Well, I, the first thing I like, learned right. that the X Files were open. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then closed, and because he he wants to close them, I was like, oh, were the oh, all right, right in the first episode, they were like the X Files are open again, and then we never talked about that really. Like uh, the the X Files have been opened and closed more than a nineteenth century fucking French prostitute's legs. Honestly, that is literally what we're at now. They're forever being like the gravitas of we're closing the X Files has long since gone because they all exist online and no one gives a fuck. But anyway, right? The, the, and also, the-, the this episode doesn't care, so don't worry about it because it's never a thing again. It's never a thing. No, we're not. It's, it's so not a thing anymore. But anyway, right. Uh, so I think Scully even like mentions this later on. But anyway, like the two things. One thing, uh, you know, I'm closing the X Files, and we're like, oh no, don't close the X Files. And I was like, that does that mean there won't be a season twelve? Close them. Close them. Close, um, close the. Close them, you wee bitches. Close them. Um, and the second thing, the second thing is that close uh, them. <laughs> like director Kirsch spends his free time looking at conspiracy blog websites um, for some reason. <laughs> he spends a bit of time on the old conspiracy websites, uh, in particular this Joe McHale character again, who. It's like, oh, Mulder's feeding them information about the end of the world. The end of the world's coming. All that. He's gone rogue. Um, Which is also stupid because there's a conversation later mm-hmm. where Scully is talking to Joel McHale and is giving him the same information we're seeing in this video clip. Yeah. But he acts like it's the first time he's ever heard it. 
Yeah, well, no, I think that's the thing that sets it up, though, is it not? Oh, because we're in the future? Oh, for f- yeah. whatever. Right, but no, it gets worse, though, it. because Stully literally throws Mulder under the bus. Like, she's like that. He goes, will you go on the record? And she's like, no. And then he's like that. So, you know, will Mulder go on the record? And she's like, he's the only one that can save us. Literally not saying no, which is why yeah. Joe McHale then starts pinning everything on Mulder. Scully's savvy. She's like that. Fuck. I'm not losing my pension. I know what Trump does. He goes after after folk that are about to get their pension like 15 hours before and then fires them. And that ain't happening to Scully. Yes, Mulder, Mulder will take the blame for everything. But yeah, so anyway, fucking director Kirsch is spending his time watching Joel McHale, um, like putting no investigation into this at all. Is Mulder feeding information to them? Why is Mulder on TV? Um, you know, it's all this conspiracy blogs and all the rest. And he's like that to, to Skinner. I thought you had these. I thought you had them under control. And Skinner's like, well, you know. <laughs> Uh, those crazy uh, kids yeah <laughs> crazy conspiracy but then even even Skinner, Skinner's like that isn't this kind of just like like an overreaction should we really be checking at conspiracy website what happens if you know he doesn't believe this what happens if it's misinformation what happens if it's being reported wrong and Kush is like right I've had enough enough no more no more of this nonsense but you you bring them in we're closing the X-Files yeah I want their badges he says, yeah, I, w- I want, yeah, I want their badges. We're closing the X Files, and I'm like, so this is the straw that broke the camel's back. Not Mulder just murdering people. Not the fact that they've been off the grid. Not the fact that they've made up the law. Uh, it just appeared in every town throughout America, just causing a ruckus. None of that has been bad, Bo. None of it. None of it right. at all has been bad. The straw that broke the camel's back is uh, basically a, an Alex Jones type has done a bit of reporting online, uh, and a known conspiracy theorist has done a bit of reporting online where he name-drops Mulder, and that's the straw that brought the camels back. Not the murder, not the covert operations, none of that. Right, no. Alex Jones sort of guy talking on it, and I'm like, and he's like, that, close the X-Files, and like you, Bo, I was like that, finally we have some confirmation at the end of the season that someone actually reopened them? Right, I thought they were just all online, and that's what we were doing. But yep. all right, whatever. Nope. Nope. And like, so he bumps uh, yeah. at the Scully outside anyway. Right, and let me also ask the question: Why is she not the one on the hunt for William? Because all right, so what we get in this scene is is uh, Skinner is like Scully. I hate to break it to you, but they're going to close the X Files, and she's like, "Don't care." And, <laughs> and what she says. She's, like, she's like, this is about my son. It's not about the FBI. I couldn't care less. Right. And and he's... And she's like, they were open? I didn't even know they were open. I thought they were just online and that's what we're doing now. Really? <laughs> right. Well, whatever. And <laughs> then, then he's like, well, I need to talk to Mulder because he's been spouting a bunch of shit to Joel McHale. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that one Mulder, that was me, bitch. And he's like, don't call me bitch. That's inappropriate in the workplace. And, but, but it it doesn't seem right that it's Mulder looking for William and Scully scooping to Joel McHale. It ought to be Scully looking for the kid and, and Mulder, you know, given. uh, This is operation preserve my pension. 
I've got this sus now. Like, Scully is literally throwing Mulder to the wolves. Well, like that. Yeah, let him take the... He's the fall guy. He's my patsy. Right. That, that, here's the picture of him holding a rifle, and you can see that the shadow's not quite right. <laughs> Back into the left, Bo. Back into the left. Back into the left. What? Um, now come down here with me, boys. That building right over there is the U.S. Post Office. Three years ago, it was the headquarters of the CIA here in Langley. Now over there is the FBI, and behind me is the headquarters of the Pentavrit. Now you're going to tell me that's a coincidence that Fox Mulder was down here handing out pamphlets on this street corner. <laughs> what are we doing here, boss? What are we doing? What are we saying? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm saying the- Fox Mulder staged a coup d'etat. <laughs> Jim Garrison opens the X Files. Oh, uh, yeah, Oliver Oliver Stone will make a movie about it, um, starring Kevin Costner. <laughs> uh, Michael Rooker as the skeptical sidekick. Michael Rooker is amazing in JFK, by the way. It's worth, I worth think JFK, like, JFK is like a heavy-handed movie, but the performances in it in general are fucking brilliant. Oh, Kevin Bacon as the prisoner is yeah. real good. Joe Pesci is great in yeah. it. Uh, Tommy yeah. Lee Jones gives one of the best performances I think he's ever given. I would agree. I would agree. It was something like No Country for Old Men, where he's basically playing old man Jones. <laughs> right. He's just, I, here I am. I'm old. He's like, literally, that's that. But he's, he's kind of amazing at it. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I, I mean, I think the movie is a bit too heavy-handed, like, but you could take very little away when it comes to Oliver Stone's, like, theatrical uh, kind of right. grandness. He's, he's pretty much on point, and I, I could watch JFK any day of the week. Yeah, um, subtlety is not Oliver Stone's strong suit. Ew. <laughs> no. I, somebody uh, was th- throwing up an image the other day that is uh, Mickey and Mallory from Natural Born Killers. It's the shot where literally the words too much television are being uh, <laughs> like, you know, projected onto their skin from a light. And you're mm-hmm. like, I... I mean, I don't know how you criticize that, but also <laughs> on the nosy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so much on the nose. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so, what, yeah, what the fuck is going on in this episode again? Like, oh, yeah, right. Theory, so that's my, my, my theory is that, like, Scully is literally throwing mud out of the wolves here. Uh, and you will find out why later on, kind of, uh, in that, like, I, and the only bit of continuity that we've had in this season she, her maternal instinct is not great. Like really, really, really not great. Nope. Um, so yes, yeah, so she's like Mulder's the only one that can save. It. He's the one. He's out there. He's he's with William just now. And then fifteen hours earlier is what we get in the screen. And I'm like, fucking really, really. Right. That's what we're doing now. That's what we're doing now. This episode has so much running in it, Bo. Everyone's running all the time. Running, right? Running. But also, none of it matters. None of it no, m- no. amounts to anything. <laughs> No, no, I'm to nothing. Um, and all I'm going to say is, by the end of this episode, some beloved characters 
Question uh, mark. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, are 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 no longer going to be with us, or maybe they are with us. Um, and the way that they are removed from the show is so it's so crass and so blunt and so and not in keeping or even being endearing towards their legacy on the show that everything about this episode just feels rushed it feels like the character's running and getting nowhere um so we jump back (laughs) oh we jump back yeah so we, we go back to the cabin or wherever yeah, the cabin that Mulder sometimes lives at when he's not living in his apartment. <laughs> right. His his summer home. So, Where I go and collect my thoughts, goddammit. <laughs> and uh Scully busts in and is like, Hey, I got a phone call from Monica Ray's and here yeah, she's she still is. on the phone right now. I've 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 driven all this way with her on the phone and voice, uh, like on speakerphone. So or she can, something, um, yeah. Yeah, and part this like two second sentence to you where she comes on and she's like that. Listen, William, like, William's on a plane. We need to, you know, you need to go and get this plane because he's on a plane. And they're like, all right. And she's on the phone while the smoking man's coming to the car. Like, because they've just been driving around in this car since like episode one. <laughs> right. Just cruising. They'll go by the Dairy Queen once the sun goes down because that's where some of the other kids like to cruise. <laughs> yeah, only eat and drive through. That's the only way. <laughs> but can't, Monica, but can't order me a yeah, our car. We're not eating. Monica, get me a chili dog and curly fries. And also a Frosty and tell him not to skimp on the syrup. After that, we're gonna know who I am. I was in charge of the fucking syndicate. After that, we'll cruise by the mall. See, see if there are any cute boys. Maybe. Um, I don't. (laughs) So water there. (laughs) But yeah, reinventing the X Files is not something that I'm alone in doing. Uh, as we see throughout this episode, but yeah, so so Monica Ray's is like, oh my god, thank God I waited for twelve minutes while Scully drove to your place because I got to tell you, Williams on this plane, get to the plane, and so uh, Mulder's like, you know, I ought to go to the plane, goddammit. it, that sounds like yeah, a Mulder's clue. like Monica Ray's is she's in this because the only time I bumped into her. In fact, did did Mulder ever bump into her in the previous season? Because I think the, the, the scene of her bumping into her was proved to be a Scully dream. So no one seems Maybe. surprised that she's here. No one seems surprised she's here, Bo. They're just all like, oh yeah, Monica's still alive. Yay! Yeah, it, I guess. Well, Scully's I, already seen a vision of the future, and in that version of the future, she knows he's working with the smoking man. I don't know. I don't yeah, know. It, I, right, is none of it makes any sense. And, <laughs> back into the left bowl. Back into the left. And you're gonna left tell me you had did watching this. You had seven riders this season, in addition to staff riders, and that office right over there, and not a one of them recognizes the continuity problems. <laughs> now, I'm no script supervisor. But even a simple New Orleans lawyer like myself knows <laughs> that is no way to run a television show. I uh, follow the money. 
<laughs> who was getting paid? Who stood to gain from season eleven being a complete piece of trash? Do you think? Do you think like Fox Studios insured this show? <laughs> they bet against it. <laughs> bet against yeah. its ratings. They doubled down on the ratings. Right, they did a subprime television show and <laughs> shorted it. I think that's likely, quite frankly. <laughs> but I just don't know how we're going to do this scheme. Oh, I know how we're going to do this scheme. Listen to me, X Files. I've got, I've got, I've got two words for you, Chris Carter. We give him money. We give him a season eleven. But that's crazy. The the ratings for season ten. Or low. People didn't enjoy it. That's the plan. We'll, we'll invest them in enough that they think that they'll need to watch it, but we're going to kick off the season showing you that everything that happened in the end of season 10 never actually happened. That's the first thing we'll do to fuck over the fans. Then we'll never address it. We'll continue it through. We'll keep feeding Chris Carter lines like genius, incredible, visionary. Keep feeding them these lines. We'll keep the characters going. We'll throw in some monsters of the week. We may even throw a little Trump in there because we want to keep them on board. We want to keep them on board. And then by the end of it, fuck them over again. Ratings will be so low, we'll all be billionaires overnight. Insidious. It's totally insidious. And not, we fell for that again, though. Every yeah. time. We always fall I, for it. Yeah. All right. So let's try to keep this moving here. Um, cause otherwise I'm just going to do all of JFK, uh, worst ways to spend a Tuesday night, Bo. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong. Uh, so anyway, uh, Mulder is like, I'm going to go, uh, get our son and Scully's like, I, I, in my visions, I don't see him on the plane. And he's like, fuck your vision, Scully. Uh, <laughs> pretty much what he's like. Yeah. <laughs> Well, she said it was our last good chance, goddammit. When was the last time you had a good chance? I don't mean a regular old chance. A good like, chance. <laughs> Mulder's catchphrase is, I want to believe unless it's Scully. I don't want to believe Scully. I don't want to believe my partner who says, well, she's, I will do anything for love, but I won't believe Scully. No, no, no. Oh, well, I, I believe, Scully. believe Joel McHale. Uh, uh, <laughs> Believe Skinner. <laughs> Believe the, the smoking man most of the time. Yep. Scully, little too, I don't know, vaginal to be trusted. <laughs> like Scully's like that. Only you can, only you can see William. I, I, I had this vision. He's not on the plane, and, and Mulder's like that. Is it your time of the month? <laughs> now, okay I'm sure you said something different, but what <laughs> I heard. Was I'll have dinner ready when you get back. Now, you just nod if that's what you meant. She's like, she's like, he's he's, he's not on the plane in Mulder's like that. He's on the plane, right, Scully? Thanks very much. That's not what I said, Mulder. Yep, that's what you said. Right. right. I'll see you when I get back. Goddammit. Where's my hat? And <laughs> so, so Mulder drives uh to wherever this plane is and sees the head of the pentaveret uh with uh, some goons going yeah. into an airplane hangar 
Yeah, he's driving out there though. His car is equipped with one of those interfaces from the Matrix, and he plugs himself in and downloads a patch to be secret CIA assassin. Um, because well, Mulder has some like serious fucking skills in this episode, like skills that are once again even blow me away compared to his previous ones. Like he's a he's a stone cold mercenary killer. He he could be played by John Cena in this episode and and his actions would be in line with what i think of when i think of a john cena movie because because he sees them all going into this hangar doesn't see william so he creates a distraction which brings the heavily armed mercenaries out and then runs through this hangar but then one of them comes through the door and tries to accost them because he's casually strolling. He walks. This is the thing. Like You've created that distraction. A couple of gunshots. The three guards go out there. This is the point. This is the only point in the show that merits the running that's happening in the show, and it doesn't fucking happen. He sashays, meanders. Hey, look, my knees are not good, goddammit. I am not <laughs> running for you or anyone. Even if the Lord Jesus came down and told me, Fox, you need to run from this spot over that ladder on the plane. <laughs> I would look him in the eyes and say, listen, goddammit, my knees are bad. That's your fault, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Ruler of all, I appreciate what you did, but get out of my goddamn face about my knees. <laughs> he's, he's, he's walking through the hangar. A guard comes in. Points are gonna um Mulder disarms this guy, then uses him as a human shield, then this is fucking amazing. This is actually Yeah, he amazing. just goes complete splinter cell. Yeah, it, it gets, even, <laughs> gets even better. So the, the the head of the Pentaveret is sitting up in his office, right, and he hears a shitload of gunshots go off, looks up, and is like, huh? And then goes puts his head back down, and then Mulder comes in. And Not covered in blood, surprisingly, even though the implication is that he has just murdered four, oh, yeah. four grown men. Uh, yeah, because we see the, the after effect. No one is left standing. Mulder, has the, he, Mulder is straight up John Wick, right? He is like he use, has a human shield, put three of them down, and then the guy he was using as a hum, human shield either got shot by the other guys or Mulder put one in his head at close range. No blood on him. Well, right, but, and, and the show doesn't show you that scene because it's fucking stupid. Because that's fucking stupid because it's Fox Mulder. Right, oh, he's right, not so he in comes, action here. Anyway, yeah, right. I'm sorry to interrupt. He comes in to speak to this guy. And remember the Pentat? Remember when we were like that? This is like, remember back in episode one? I said this was really interesting because now we have these two factions, one being the smoking man with this insidious plan to wipe out the world, and the other one being this Pentavra who we're talking about genuinely, well, from what we could gather, like some sort of you know space colonization, and these two factors were going to come into play in this colossal power struggle. Boy, was I wrong, Bo, because we literally never... We, we had what's her face the Hershey Highway appeared in the next episode for about two minutes she appears in this episode for about two minutes this guy is in the episode like this like patriarch of this secret fucking organisation is in this episode about two minutes he has about four lines of dialogue 
all of which are shit. You know, you've let us down, Mulder. You know, you were supposed to do what we wanted for space colonization and all the rest. And you've let us down. We gave you time to find William. You couldn't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Um, and Mulder, what does Mulder do to this guy, Bo? Tell the listeners out there. Does he question him? Does he try and dig further in? Does he ask this guy if he has any knowledge at all or any way of tracking down his son? Which, by the way, in this evidence, in this episode we have evidence that they were tracking him but you know is does he ask him any of that well uh, the guy volunteers the information that like whoever controls the spice controls the world uh except (laughs) the spice is william right and and so he's like uh you know william is the key to all of this and then uh what another guard or security team member or whatever uh, appears at the glass doors, mm-hmm. and before he can even fucking it open, uh, fu- fucking open the door, like Super Spy Fox Mulder, like his Spidey sense tingles or something. Or he's just like, wait a second, goddamn it! I think I see a guard reflected in the eyes of my prey, and then spins around, fires a couple of rounds through the glass door. It shatters. Guard falls through. The head of the Pentavidit, um grabs a, a, a pistol from beneath his desk, what was taped there or something, mm-hmm. and starts to pull that out. But Mulder, Neo-like, spins back towards uh, this dude whose name I couldn't be bothered to recall. <laughs> he's just the head of the thing that's been in two scenes, one of which is to say that he's starting a new space colony bullshit yep and then this scene where he gets shot in the fucking face because that's what happens uh super oh, yeah. spy fox Mulder is just like wah, 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 god damn it and <laughs> sp- spins back towards the guy and shoots him like right right in the cheek and yeah. and the, yeah and then he's just that's it end end of that whole storyline yeah. Yep. Really? Well, Barbara Hershey's still alive, so maybe it'll continue. Maybe we'll get some more substance. But Mulder walks at that room, two dead bodies, then walks down through the hangar, four dead bodies. Um, yeah, because he's on a mission, Bo. His mission is to find his son, William. I hope you, hope you know that. Mulder loves him deeply, wants to bring him home. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a far too long <laughs> chase sequence. Uh, where shitty kid William is on the lamb. Yeah, does does a, a version of shape parkour? It, yeah, I in my notes, I I had there is an unsettling amount of parkour from this kid. Yeah, and I just don't know what the fuck this character is supposed to be. Well, the is thing he, the thing is the is thing he is Gene well, Gray. Yeah, or is he you know some kind of shape shifting? This is, you've raised the point here. Like, ultimately, how he gets away from these guards is by shape shifting, right? That's how he gets, like, right. So he runs, so he can shape shift when he could have shape shifted at any point. So all he ever needed to do was go out of the line of sight and shape shift into a guard. You know what I mean? And walk away. No, 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 no. This episode wants five minute chase scene over the top of buildings, under buildings, sliding down roofs, you know shite parkour and all the rest so he can then run into a crowd of homeless people and then just become 
you know, one of the, the homeless there. There's maybe about seven or eight homeless people in this, like, commune. See, if I work for the government, Bo, and I'm armed to the teeth, and I arrive, and there's, like, six or seven homeless people there, and I know that my prey can possibly shapeshift, I arrest them all. I take them all in. Like, everyone in that area... Like you're even slightly. So this is like the thing you get. You get the you get the blood. You get the teaspoon. You get the everyone. Everyone. Everyone gets arrested. Now they're like that. Oh well, he must have got away. No, 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 no. We know he shapeshifts. We know that there's five or six homeless people sitting here. Chances are he probably has shapeshifted into one of them. They all get arrested. Now that's too much. Like what the kids call logic. And we right. won't have this in this episode. We'll have a. A high intensity five five minute chase sequence over the top of roofs, which results in niente, nada, nothing. Right, he started off loose and and uh, running from the law, and he ends the scene loose and running from the law. Yeah, that's now, what we call good writing. Um, it's just like oh, but uh, yeah, gonna get a lot more of this, bro. A lot more, plenty more where that came from. Yeah, in this episode, don't nothing matter. Let's just wrap her up. Um, so after uh, Shitty William ducks the shitty guards or whatever, because I just, who cares? Who cares about any of this? Anyway, mm-hmm. so Mulder uh, is on, on the hunt for William, goes to uh, a, a convenience store, uh, trucker, truck stop kind of situation. Um and finds out that William had been there predicting lottery numbers and has some cash on him. But instead of just buying a car, which would make perfect sense because you pay for a car with cash and there's no record and then you can go wherever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. Um, William instead has hitched a ride with a trucker who's, I don't know, kind of creepy, but not terrible. But he anyway, kind of reminded me of Bob. Oh, yeah, very much so. But he he was like, "Hey, have you ever heard?" I mean, he, he, it was almost like laughably uh, uh, Peter Graves from Airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, instead of uh, you like movies about gladiators, he's like, "Hey, it, it, you like to get in trouble, kid? What kind of what kind of trouble you like to get into?" and the kid's like, oh, I have special powers. He's like, oh, one of them X-Men? And you're like, no. You ever no. seen a naked man, Billy? <laughs> <laughs> sir, I, I've i seen the X-Men. I know the X-Men. You, <laughs> sir, are no X-Man. Um, this is just a, a shitty knockoff. And, okay, so Mulder is on... Uh, while he's there, some dude slips out who's presumably from the Smoking Man or whatever. Uh, yeah. and, and, and puts a, a tracker on the car and, uh, Mulder takes off. He's trying to find William and he finds the, uh, the truck, uh, and with inside the cab of the truck, the, the truck driver got not even all that creepy was just like, again, was kind of like, you like to get in trouble, right? Hey, hey <laughs> you like, you like trouble. And the kid ghoulies out. And yeah. turns into a big monster. Literally gives this trucker a heart attack, a heart attack while he's driving fucking seventeen tons down the road. Yeah, because William, instead of doing letting this guy do him a favor, 
by driving them somewhere has to be a dick. Right. Like, how can I end this exchange as shittily as possible? Yeah. I know. Let's startle the driver. And so Mulder catches up to the truck around this time, and the driver is like, you know, hey, hey, kid turned into a monster. You believe that? And uh, Mulder is like, well, that sounds like me, goddammit. And because uh, my range isn't good. And but he gets into uh, his Mustang when he the guy tells him, yeah, there was a kid who turned into a monster. And Mulder's like, hey, I know that shitty kid and jumps in his Mustang, peels out. But the shitty kid has uh, snuck in a drainage pipe under the road. And uh, Mulder is like, uh, hey, I uh, I couldn't find him. Like, call Scully. It was like, hey, kid gave me the slip, but I think I know where he's going. Yeah. And Meanwhile, and she's Scully- like that. By the way, I have something really important to tell you. And he's like that. Listen, I'm not What's listening that? to you, little lady. <laughs> uh, I can break it up or something. I mean, I, I hear words, but it just it just won't register in my brain what they are. <laughs> I'm going into a tunnel, a tunnel of masculinity. <laughs> I, I, I live in a, uh, one, one of them electrical nets of, of pure man. My my cell phone just breaks up all the time, uh, just from sheer virility. I want I once accidentally made a fire hydrant pregnant. <laughs> so what 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 were you saying again? Goddammit! And she's like, "Whatever you do, this ends terribly." I've seen a vision. Don't do this. Don't go after him. And he's like, "What? Uh, go after him. All right then." <laughs> Tell you what, goddammit, I'll, uh, I'll I'll get that kid and call you back. Yeah, and but the thing is, like, the, hangs up the phone, and Scully has this vital message to pass on. She doesn't try redialing him, send him a text message, leave him a voicemail. She literally does, like, a kind of eyes roll in the back of my eyes. Well, that's Mulder. Crazy Mulder. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, no, you saw the man die. He's your partner. You know what I mean? And uh, as you think at the moment, father to your child, um, the one that you just declared love your undying love to that you're going to make things work in the very last episode of the X-Files and you're just going to shrug off the fact that he's not listening to you? That doesn't sound right, Bo. Yeah, it's... I mean, I just don't know. I, I don't understand what... Like, his motivation is here. Like, I don't, I mean, other than finding his kid, which he should be doing, but... I, I I don't get why he's not going about this in any kind of smart way. How does he know where his kid's going? What what leads him to believe this that well, he's going to go back to his hometown? Yeah, well, yeah. I I, I don't well. Well, I, I, see, I don't I don't. That to me isn't the bit that is jumping the shark and believability. Once again, we know Mulder was a criminal profiler. You know studied psychology and all the rest so to me him piecing together those things you know i I could see him making that jump to that hunch that's fine but the motivation for why he is so aggressively doing this without using any common sense or any of the tools that he actually has at his disposal as an fbi agent is confused wholly confusing like I don't get. I don't get this. I don't. I don't get why he's just running around as this cold-blooded murderer, putting everyone in the ground, 
to to get to William. Like when like in the previous nine episodes, it's been an afterthought. You know, we we've we've spent time, you know, like investigating the banality of some pretty fucking shit storylines here. Instead of finding William that did we just run out of shit, shit case files that now we actually have to do something, the excuse is gone, the distraction is no longer there that we have to pretend. You know, that we have I, to yeah. be I don't know I don't know what his motivations don't make any fucking sense to me. Um out with the fact that, you know, like all of a sudden he's got this steroid injection that he's interested in his child's well being. Right, which again has not been a thing. Like it's always been uh, Scully who has been the you know the mother in search of her child. Yeah, like the the sudden insertion of Mulder as the primary "I want to save my kid" character is head scratching to me. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, so the shitty kid ends up going home. Uh, gets a, a lift from uh the the guy who put the tracker on Mulder's phone so now we know that the pentaveret or smoking man or whomever is after the kid also knows his location mm-hmm. and uh so then we get to uh Mulder tracking him down to the house where both the girls that he was dating are somehow hanging out. Like, I don't understand how that relationship works. That seems yeah, like... Yeah, sorry I stabbed be... you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. But boys. <laughs> right, like, the bitch who was with my boyfriend and stabbed me is now my, my best friend. That... BFFs, Bo. BFF. One of those Fs is for forever. <laughs> now, you're telling me that we're bringing back characters from this Ghoulie episode. And they are best of friends. That dog don't hunt. Um, <laughs> it's like my new favorite addition to this. Like, the, 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 we're getting them right at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> Jim Garrison, prosecutor for good television. Um. <laughs> uh, that's crazy boss that's crazy <laughs> I love all of that anyway so, uh, so good. <laughs> Mulder shows up and, and uh, was like hey uh, I'm your dad and gives him a big hug and the kid and we are, we're aware at this point, yeah, because of the beginning, that he knows that Mulder isn't his father, but also isn't trying to tell Mulder, hey, you're not my real dad. He's at least not that shitty, I guess. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so uh, <laughs> Mulder is like, I can help you. Let me, let me, uh, you need to come with me. You need somebody you can trust. And... Um, then, you know, the Pentaveret shows up and we are treated yet again to a bunch of just n- pure, pure nonsense. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I, I've got to throw in the moment where Barbara Hershey shows up to, uh, find 
this bloody car. Yeah, so this was the car that picked him up, and we, because if you're me, you're wondering how William got away, um, and not only did he get away, but got away apparently unscathed with no blood on him, and we look inside this car, and that driver has fucking exploded. Yeah, it's like the scanner's head explosion, only all over. Yeah, the inside of the car looks like Carrie's prom dress. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, it looks like the last scene of that Evil Dead remake took place inside the car. Yep, looks like the the final forty five minutes of the Passion of the Christ. Uh, it looks like Tokyo Gore Police came in the front seat. <laughs> it looked like my last shit, and I think I might have to go to the doctor, Bob. I think you should. I would. <laughs> I, I would do that if I were you. Uh, um. <laughs> So, I wonder where this rib cage came from. <laughs> and his legs still are, with a shoe. Are you a descent monster? <laughs> Have you been eating people? <laughs> so. So Barbara Hershey at all uh, show up at William's joint. Where yep. Mulder is hugging him and trying to tell him, like, you need to come with me. And they bust in and they're like, ha ha, we've got you. And he's like, uh, again, it's Carrie. It's just, hey. And, yeah. you know, him, like, it goes split screen. He's staring at him. The door's all closed. <laughs> um, none of that happens. It would be awesome if it did. Now, instead, he just looks at him and they, they blow up like... Yep. Uh, so why was he running earlier on? Why has he been running at all from these people? If at any point he could just look at them and they would explode, Bo. Maybe he didn't want to kill in until that way. Now? He's very, until he just decided to now. Why not just, I don't know. Now, again, let's not scratch too much at this, yeah. Duncan, because nothing matters and nothing makes sense. So so he looks He looks at the two guards first. They both explode. And he looks at Barbara Hershey and I'm like that. Surely not. She's going to fill in the blanks about the pent. No, she's gone. She's gone. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, nah, not like this. And then... <laughs> <laughs> like her matrix, matrix elephant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it happens a lot on this show. People get jacked out of the matrix or blow up into true blood piles of goo that's totally what it is like they just fucking explode right and then for a second william looks malevolently at Mulder. i'm like oh what's gonna happen here and then he takes off so runs out meanwhile scully's phoned up joel McHale, and he's like that listen i need to tell you there's serious incident going on there's a you know this massive pandemic's coming and it's going to wipe it then mikhail's like yeah whatever and she's like no listen government conspiracies and all this stuff and no one's going to be safe and and he's like that well can like we mentioned earlier can you can prepare to go on the record she's like you can tell him an fbi source gave you this information he's like yeah but are you prepared to go on the record and she's like no and he's like that well is Mulder prepared to and she's like that Mulder's our only hope I'm not saying you can't use his name. I'm just saying if you do use his name, don't mention my name. <laughs> right. Like, she she is not willing to turn state's evidence, but is willing for Mulder to do that. Oh, yeah. Crazy Mulder. Uh, well, Spooky Mulder, isn't it? Spooky Mulder. Yeah, um, Spooky Mulder. 
Yeah, Spooky Mulder. Um, so, <laughs> so he's like, all right. So then we get the the Joe McHale power hour where he's talking about all these horrible things happening and like you know this conspiracy that's going to rock this nation to its core you know a pandemic is going to break out um look at this mess in this hotel room where like these people have exploded and that's the guy on tv right now Mulder. like that's the guy there look at him look at him look at him um which brings us up to the moment we had just before the 15 hours so skinner and scully are talking together and while they are conversing, Mulder phones Scully to say, I lost William. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'll track him down. I'll, you know, I'll do what I can do. Um, I'll, I'll see what I can do and all the rest. And she's like, no, Mulder, don't do it because I've seen bad. Th-. So she hangs up the phone and Skinner's like, is that Mulder you're talking to? Because in the interim, he's had a phone call from the smoking man who's basically said the greatest line ever is like that. Remember that pandemic? I promised you. Ten episodes ago, well, now it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I figured it was about time I got around to it, seeing as how this is the finale and all, yep. that we might do the thing we said we'd do in the oh, first episode. Yeah, funny story. I put it in my iCalendar, but I put it in the wrong month. It was supposed to be in January, but for some reason went in as July. <laughs> well, and you know, I changed phones. Uh, I I completely lost the your contact info, so I couldn't tell you about the apocalypse that was coming. There, there's a lot of egg on the face to go around here. Yeah, started a, well, like a, a project that I thought at first wouldn't take that long of cataloging my vinyl collection but you know turns out i had more vinyl than i thought i had and then i did it first alphabetically and then i realized that that didn't make sense so i did it chronologically but i didn't like that either so i did it alpha uh, alpha chronologically and now it looks better although i don't like the idea of zz top being at the end because smart dress man is my favorite song ever so yeah it it was a weird time but it's finally sorted and when i finished that i thought you know what bone skinner yeah, yeah, I... Fuck, Duncan. All right, so... Such a, such I, a bad episode, man. Such a fucking I, bad... I, such I, a mess. I, don't, I don't mean to get distracted by how shitty it is over and over again, but it is kind of stunning uh, that... All right, so, yeah, so... M- M- Scully and, and uh, Skinner are now buddy copping it to the scene of the crime. Uh... The Smoky Man is behind them. Mm-hmm. We have another stupid fucking chase scene where all of these people are running around looking for each other. Yeah. And, I mean, unless we need to pause and, and hit any of the individual stupid chase scenes because there are people chasing Mulder, there are people chasing the kid. Yeah. Uh, the like, Smoky what? Man finally shows up. Yeah, Smoky Man shows up, finds the like walks past the car finds the scanner sensor thing that's going to track down uh william picks up so they're now on the thing but the thing about this is like skinner and scully leave fbi headquarters and once again how far away is this from the headquarters i don't get oh, this. right around the corner yeah because it's, literally it's so Mulder's on his way there and then all of a sudden <laughs> scully and skinner are like that's Mulder's car like it's fun. I'm like, what? if it was that close, why did she send Mulder? Why did she not do it herself? I don't get. It, it makes no fucking sense, Bo. 
I'll tell you, there, there is one moment in this whole exchange that I kind of like. Most of it is totally worthless. One thing I do genuinely like is the moment where, uh, when they're running through the tunnels of some building or another, mm-hmm. uh, when Scully runs into Mulder and she's like, we gotta, we gotta find William. Have you found William? And he's like, no, I haven't found him yet, but look, he wants us to stop looking yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he knows that you, that you love him. Yeah. And she's like, how does he know that? And, and he's like, yeah. He knows. Don't worry about it. He knows. And and you need to stop going out. You know, I'm going to go look for him, though. And then runs off. And as soon as he runs off, she looks over and Mulder is coming at her from the other direction saying, have you seen him? Did he run past you? Yeah. And it's a nice moment where it's like, hey, the son. Because at this point, throughout the episode, William has been like, I don't like this. If this is a life I got to live, I want to die. Yeah. Here's a very emo. Yeah. Here, like he's got a Bauhaus record going on uh, (laughs) in his headphones nonstop. Wishy's head went to the the reunion tour of My Chemical Romance and the the, the Black Parade tour. You know, he was all about that. Oh, for sure. I am an arms dealer. That's Fallout Boy. That's not fucking. Whatever. Is there a difference? I don't know. Uh, no, there is. <laughs> one's a bit. One's a bit romance. more goth. Uh, yeah. I think the difference is one's about like seventeen million dollars richer than the other one. Um, sure, sure. Uh, but, 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 yeah. but meanwhile, like while all this is happening, Skinner clocks a vehicle clocks his vehicle part and starts walking up, hands spread out in front of him. You know, no weapons here, no weapons. In the vehicle is Reyes and the smoking man, and Skinner's walking up, you know, here's like that. Now, Bo, yes. the smoking man in episode one had this little vial on him. This vial contained this deadly toxin, which under no circumstances at all should be shattered, damaged, because it will destroy the world, right? Right, and I... Skinner knew about it, and we made the point that's probably stupid to carry around with you. Yeah, that's stupid to carry around. But it was like an insurance policy not to do anything fucking stupid around the smoking man. Skinner's not... He's forgotten. He's forgotten. His character's forgotten. He's like... His teeth never fell out. Nothing, nothing means anything anymore. Skinner walks up and pulls out a gun and points it at them, right? And then just kind of points it at them for like 20 seconds not pulling the trigger or anything. Reyes decides that the appropriate course of action is to reverse. Um, Smoking Man decides the appropriate course of action is to run Skinner over. So that's what they decide to do. Skinner puts fucking four in the windshield before catching Reyes right in the forehead. So she ain't coming back, Bo. Not no, cause, and also we need to make sure that we shoot more people in yeah. the fucking head in this episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how you because they're all zombies. That's how you prove they're dead. But I don't know if you know that. Um, <laughs> come on. Uh, so shoots on the head, but the vehicle still coming. Then Skinner waits probably slightly too long before he turns around and starts running away from this vehicle, plowing towards him, and then right at the last minute drops so the vehicle goes over the top of him and crashes him. The insinuation is maybe he's dead. I'm going to go on record to say Skinner's not dead. But 
as the X-Files is not returning for another season, who cares? <laughs> well, yeah, he did the, the like, you know, uh, running for the other car. It looks like he's going to get crushed between them and does the old, like, whoop, and, yeah. like, hits the deck. So, yeah, I think he's totally alive. Like, every character that should be dead in this show is alive, and all the ones that should be alive are dead. Exactly, know? exactly. So, yeah, but, like like I said before, since we're never coming back to this again, um, yeah, who cares? Um, Skinner's input into this season has been so nondescript and so nothing, so beige, that it doesn't matter. Uh, but the smoking man gets out of the vehicle, picks up Skinner's gun, and now he's armed and he's chasing after them. So, like a, in the classic Scooby-Doo tradition, we've got Mulder running one way, Scully running another way, William running one way, and the smoking man's running one way, and they're all going through doors that don't make sense and coming to other ones, and one minute one of them's chasing them, and smoking man's behind them, and then all of a sudden they're all chasing the smoking man. Um, and the Benny Hill music's playing, and it's all, it's, all, it's all over the place. But at one point we see William running, and in between pillars he changes to Mulder, and at this point, I was like, all right, I get it now. Bit slow in the uptake, but I get it now. And he kind of busts through out onto the pier, and the smoking man catches William. And then we jump to the conversation we saw right at the very beginning, which Bo will remind us of. Right, which uh, is uh, the smoking man saying, who would have thought that the, the me bringing you into this world and now here I am about to remove you from it. And uh, Mulder's like, you don't got the guts, goddammit! And then uh, the Smoky Man shoots him and ostensibly he has just shot Mulder who falls into the water uh, at this pier and, you know, none of us believe that that's the case. But Super uh, spy now turned just straight up walking assassin. Fox Mulder, the real one, shows up at this point and it's like, "Hey, what'd you do with my son? God damn it!" And the Smoky Man turns around and Mulder just shoots him about twenty-seven times. Yeah. And uh, the one moment I like from this is after he shoots him, he walks up to him and shoves him off the pier. Mm -hmm. And th there's part of it, like, this should be one of the most satisfying moments in X-Files history. Should be the most pivotal death scene in X-Files history because the smoking man is the villain. He's the big bad. He's been the big bad since day one. And yes, I we mean, thought he died and then he came back. But yeah, this this is the big bad. We're no longer dealing with aliens, Bo. That that that's not been relevant for for seasons now. That the man who was about to destroy humanity at his own hand destroy humanity single handedly wipe out humanity was this guy, and it's a couple of shots in the chest and a push in the lake. No dramatic music, no huge stab, no emotional breakdown. Mulder puts four into his dad, pushes him off. And that's the end of the smoking man. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I again, I like the fact that there is that real hateful push at the end of it. 
But it just it loses all weight because the problem is just what you said. Like he is the big bad. He's the yep. big villain of the, of of this show. But he's not in this season hardly at all. He doesn't feel like a real threat. And also, this episode hasn't bothered to emphasize the Armageddon part of this. At all. It's been mentioned a couple of times, but not so you'd notice. The whole episode is just somebody or another chasing this kid. And that's the whole episode. Leading up to this point where major characters get killed and you're like... There's no gravity to any of this. There's none at all. It, it's so anticlimactic. And um, what I love is this next scene. So Scully comes out and Mulder's like, that. Nah, we lost him. We lost our boy and all the rest. And have you ever seen Tropic <sighs> Thunder? I, I have. I didn't think about it at the time, but well done. Yeah. <laughs> this is the scene. This is the moment that made me laugh. To the point, I literally leaned back and kicked my feet up. I was laughing so hard. Yeah, because like, like, if you've seen Tropic Thunder, the reason I mention that is the whole start of that movie kicks off with the fact that Ben Stiller can't cry at all. Like, he just can't do it. Can't do it. They, they try and get him to cry, but he can't do it. And there's this little awkward scene where they try and like Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> tries to get me crying. He, he just can't do it. And his face kind of scrunches up a little bit and all the rest. And what I realized is Ben Stiller in Tropic Thunder looks a lot like Fox Mulder. <laughs> Got the same uh-huh. haircut and the same face. Um, and yet like Mulder's trying to convey the fact that his son has just been shot in front of him. And he's like doing the scrunchy face as if he's trying to cry, but no tears are coming out at all. And then Scully kind of tries to do the same thing, and Scully can't do it. And then Scully's like, (laughs) Not even mother and father can summon tears for this shitty kid. They can't do it. And I was like, you, I cackled out loud for us. I was like, nah. I was like, oh, this is fucking cringeworthy. This is terrible telly. This is really, really, really bad TV right now. And he, Scully's like that, you know, it, it's okay, Mulder. And Mulder's like, but he was my son. And she's like, no, no, he was an experiment. He's like, nah, but you carried that experiment. She's like, yes, but it's not. It's not important. He wasn't meant to be and like that. I'm so glad that we've been rushing about the place like mad people and you've had Mulder almost killed and fired and we don't have the X-Files anymore and all the rest for what has turned out to be nothing of importance at all because he's not yours and it didn't mean anything and it didn't matter to anyone because all we had to do was kill the smoking man and kill the Pentavera and that's the, the case case closed again maybe and also duncan the yep, the, the this, moment that drop this massive turd on us bow go for it the the moment i went into gales of laughter was after she makes the reveal of like william wasn't your son and when Mulder says if i'm not a father yep. then what am i yep. it's the worst line are you fucking kidding me? It's the worst line in the history it is, of the X-Files. Could be the worst line is, in the history of TV. <laughs> it might be. It is the most... For, for one, it's just a bad line. For secondsies, 
there is nothing in the history of this show to earn this moment for this character. Yeah, nothing at it, all. It would be, <laughs> it would be like if at the end of Breaking Bad, as he as uh, Walt lay on the floor mm-hmm. bleeding out, he said. But I always wanted to be a woman and no one would let me. <laughs> Where you're like, the fuck? Where did that come from, Walt? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Got to the end of that show and he was like that. You know what? Drugs are really bad, kids. Drugs are really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Of course it not If I'm not a father, what am I? An FBI agent, apparently. I, right, one who has, who has been characterized by an obsession with hunting for your sister, alien intelligence, interference with modern life, yeah. anything paranormal or strange. That has been your lifelong pursuit. Yeah. It's the reason you have the I want to believe poster yeah. on the wall of your office and not a picture of your shitty kid in your wallet. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, so it's like, fucking bad man it's so bad it's like Chris Carter wrote and directed an a bad X-Files movie yeah that was all about the pursuit of William which would have been episode 1 and episode 10 and you smush those together and it's one shitty movie that and previous X Files movie is better than this, so that Billy Connolly one, which is not oh, a good movie, is better than this. Yes, yes, this is this episode, and we haven't even gotten to the dumbest reveal. Oh, the, yet. the best reveal is still to come, ladies and gents. So strap yourself in. Maybe I I, I, I disagree with myself already. This was the dumbest reveal. The thing that Mulder had this. Obsession with fatherhood. I don't know what you mean, Bo, because if he's not a father, what is he? I it, it, but I I, like I'm I'm being angry about it now. But at the moment it happened when I was watching the episode, I I went into gales of laughter. (laughs) It it was that bad, and then like a one-two punch of of stupidity. I get the right hand with. If I'm not a father, then what am I? Mm-hmm. And then the left hook of, oh no, you're a father. I've got a magic baby in my womb. Yeah. Scully, who could not conceive, could not conceive, is able to conceive uh, from all the rampant fucking they two have been doing all season. Um, oh, lot of fucking. Uh, yeah, she is now pregnant. With Mulder's baby. So, yeah, forget about the kid who was the trouble kid. We'll just start a new family. It is offensively stupid. It's, uh, it's horrible. It's it, tantamount it, to not a, dumb as, as dumber than a bag of fucking bricks. You know, here's the way to end this, if I may. Oh, tell us, Bo. Uh You have... Mulder and Scully, and like, let's keep everything up to shitty kid getting shot by the Smoky Man and even Mulder shooting him. Yeah. That final conversation should be about it has always been us. We will take care of each other no matter what happens. 
we can survive this because we've survived everything else. This entire show has been about their relationship. The best parts of this season mm -hmm. have, have sort of been about the fact that they are not just longstanding partners, but they have become old friends in the same way that you become old friends with people that you just have been with forever. Yeah. You know, it's just, we we've shared whether or not we like one another, we have so much mutually shared experience that we're just kind of war buddies, Yeah, you know? And, and that should be what the end of this show is not. I've got a baby. Ha, we need one of them babies. And there have been hints of that in the, in this season. I'll grant you that of her, Wanting to be uh, a mother or, or regretting her lack of being in her child's life and, and that sort of thing. But not enough to make that the crescendo of this season. I, I, I think it is a terrible ending to a terrible season that has flickers of, of decency. In one episode that's genuinely very good. And... The rest of it's all just degrees of how bad is season 11. Yeah. Sorry. I just realized that I crawled up on the soapbox and was just like, and another thing, season 11. No, I think, I think um, you're, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. I think, um, I think this is the, in my opinion, the final death nail in the X-Files. I, I, and there's no way you can bring this back. There, even if, like, you can't bring this back now. Scully's pregnant. And, oh, well, she's right, not coming so back. Scully's pregnant. And, and let's, just to put a bow on the episode completely, the final shot of the yeah. episode after all the, ha, huh, I need me a baby, is shitty kid William coming out of the water like Bruce Davison from X-Men. Except he's not all jellied up and cool. Mm -hmm. uh, he's just got the bullet and a bullet wound in his head, and he pops out of the water and it's just like, "Hey, hey remember me, everyone? The shitty kid. I'm back." Hey, yeah. hey. Well, and the thing is, though, but uh, there's a couple of things here, right? There's a couple of things we need to take into account, right? Like, if you are Chris Carter and you are pitching for a new season, which he is, you've removed your big bad, you've removed your competition to the big bad. You've removed the threat of the pandemic, um, which is ultimately, which was the final conspiracy to do with the aliens. You've removed all that now, right? You've closed the X-Files. You have potentially killed, most likely not killed Skinner. Um, but Mulder and Scully are now fired again. Um, so that's the end of that. That's the end of that, right? And William survived, and everyone that was trying to hunt William is now dead. So William's now safe, and can, in theory, join his mum and dad. Because there's nothing to stop that. Although, if I was them, I wouldn't be taking him on board because he, you know, can make you explode by looking at you. But you, you've, you've tried to tie things up in a quote-unquote clever way, and all you've done is you've killed it. You've killed everything. All the momentum is gone. All the importance, all the things you set up in that episode one is being like this grand battle over the stage of the planet and all the rest. 
resolved itself in the most pedestrian way possible. Um, and it, it, none of it feels justified. None of it feels merited. This journey has been... It's the same as the previous... I was thinking about this today, actually. Is Ultimately, what we got was a longer version of the previous season. Um, so season 10, the, the first part of the revival... Uh, we only had two episodes that we had one episode that we really liked and another episode which we thought was fun but the rest was pretty pish and then this season one episode that we thought was really really good uh, and sprinkles of other bits that we thought were okay but no one real episode where we're like this is good and then it ends once again like the previous episode ended with, with a frustrating end which you know has has merited nothing that it gives us and then tries to pass it off as if it's you know as if it's doing us a favor and it's just but it's so fucking bad and like and I, I thought like before i recorded i thought i'll just check to see what the consensus is on season 11 and people seem to be overly forgiven of what i've seen and I don't know what people like that. Oh, well, you know, fingers crossed another season. No, no more seasons. No one's... The, what you do is you yeah, take... Yeah, make this stop. Take it, take it off Chris Carter. Take it off Chris Carter. Maybe reboot it. I hate saying this because I love Mulder and Scully, but you basically ruined their their story art and Gillian Anderson's never coming back now. So maybe reboot it and, and try something different with it. Um... I said at the start that I was really interested to see if we would ever see a new season in Millennium. Don't do that either now. Like, don't no, give no, no. Chris Carter if... fucking anything. Keep him away. <laughs> Make the bad man stop. He is the George Lucas of TV. He is, like, uh, uh, so fucking bad. Like, on it, I... It finished, Bo, and I thought, like, I was going into this one going, right, well, it's been bad, but, you know, this one's probably going to be goofy, eccentric, and it's going to leave us on a cliffhanger, and I've resigned myself to that. I could not have expected, nor would I think anyone should be expecting, how just fucking plain, poorly written, poorly acted, a ill-thought-out not only this episode, but this entire season of the X-Files has been. I feel like I have wasted 10 weeks watching a TV show that, like we said before, I would have been out by episode two. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't spend any more time. The only saving grace is I have I've genuinely enjoyed the nonsense that we've crafted doing this has been the fun part for me. But when you come to this, it's like... It's like a kick in the nuts, man, with a pair of steel-toed cap boots. I just don't see... I don't see how anyone could be happy with their involvement with us <laughs> at all. <laughs> I award you no points. <laughs> Everyone is a little dumber for having seen this season. Just yeah, horrendous. It. it yeah, I mean, look, you ain't getting any arguments out of me, Duncan. This is 
a bad season. It's a bad episode to end on. If they do reboot it, you keep uh, Chris Carter far, far away. Yes. You you give him an executive producer credit and let him do cocaine by the pool somewhere. <laughs> and you hand it to, I don't know, like uh, uh, what's uh, Ronald Moore doing these days? You give it to you give it to the two the two Morgan brothers. I don't even know if they are brothers, but the two oh Glenn Morgan and yeah 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 other one. You give it to them, right? Because they genuinely are the ones that get the spirit of what the show is. And you stretch the the net a bit more and try and entice uh, Vince Gilliam back to do a bit of stuff on it, and you you do it that way. That's what you do. You don't you don't let Chris Carter near anything again ever. Um, and in fairness, the writing was on the wall. I mean, the dude did his he did his fucking spin-off Lone Gunman thing which was a flop. He pretty much rode the X-Files into the ground the previous time. He did a, a movie in, in between which was a terrible X-Files movie and yet he still landed somehow a chance to pitch what he's done here and it just proved to me that I think Chris Carter thinks he's a lot cleverer than he actually is. Um, and I think that's evident. I think Whereas you could hide the flaws in, in the X-Files in the past because it was really doing TV that people hadn't seen before. Uh, nowadays, we are we are almost shamed with the amount of incredible TV we have now that these flaws stand out like fucking potholes in a teenager's face. Um, you know what I mean? Like, they're so easily... I think, in some respects as well... Maybe some people are coming at this a bit more forgiven than we've come off. We we came off doing Twin Peaks to do this, right? Twin Peaks, which is one of the most, at the very least, one of the most memorable television yeah. experiences I've ever had. Yeah. To the X Files in very quick quick succession. Yeah. And this show is fucking stupid. <laughs> but you think, in a lot of respects, though, I hear the same accusation flying against Twin Peaks. You know what I mean? Like, it's a, a stupid show, doesn't make sense, characters act weird and all the rest. I, I can totally get that. And the difference is the intent, I think. Yeah, it, it's the on-purposeness. Like, David Lynch is... When something weird or or goofy is happening, he understands that it's weird and goofy. Yeah, but that's just David Lynch, and it's it's just a state of mind, man. Like, you know, once you watch Firewalk with me, and then watch uh, season th- uh, three of Twin Peaks, yeah, there is just like you can understand the cinematic vocabulary that David Lynch is using in those, mm-hmm. unlike. The fucking X Files season eleven, <laughs> where it is the the problem with it. The ultimately the the thing that is most disappointing, perhaps, is that they just could never figure out what they wanted this show to be. Yeah, is it is it going to be just a bunch of adventures of Mulder and Scully, which is just fine, or is it going to be this uh, borrowing from things like Breaking Bad and be this? continuous narrative that's more story and character focused which it also tries to be sometimes yep. 
and would also be fine. You just can't do both because then nothing matters. Because you have writers who are doing these one-off episodes, like the one we like is just a, a crazy one-off episode. Yeah. That might work if every other episode tied together, I suppose. But the the fact is that was the highlight of the season because none of the other stuff had any narrative weight to it. Yeah. And and but so it then just, it's just that about having the TV a good time. Was just so well written, though. Yeah, it's very it's it's it was as clever as Chris Carter thinks he is. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, just well written, well casted, well acted, and all the rest, and it stands out so. <laughs> you know, stands out so much more against the backdrop. It's like parking your shitty car beside a shittier car. Um, but in this case, your shitty car is actually a pretty decent car. Uh, but you park it beside these. You park it in a car park uh, or a car lot um, full of really shitty cars, and now all of a sudden your car looks like a Ferrari compared to everyone else. And that's, I, like, I, I yeah, I I really. So shines a good deed in a weary world, Duncan. Uh, the one good episode of season 11 was the, the good deed done to us. Mm-hmm. And then everything else just happened to us, I like to think. Um, just a wave of terribleness of one degree or another. And and I will say that I, I had fun with certain episodes oh, yeah. there was... once I had come around to how dumb this season was going to be. Yeah, there was certain, there were certain things that... There was like I, I like to think there are certain like um, standout scenes. I don't necessarily think, narratively speaking, any of the episodes have been from start to finish been good at all. I think there's like standout parts that I thought were really really cool uh, that would stand up like certain certain scenes would stand up against the greater canon of the X Files and not be horrendously ill placed. That being said, uh, uh, just the continuity and the writing and everything about this is just, uh, it's just, it's bad. It's so, so, so bad. Um, And yeah, I can't remember. I think it was Abraham Abraham said that he was really interested to hear me go on a rant. And I kind of want to, but I kind of don't want to. I kind of feel like... You watched the episode, did you know? What I mean, everyone's watched this episode. Me and Bo are not the. We can't be the only two people that think that this is dog shit. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't understand. I don't understand how it got as bad, um, but it did. And the only way to stop it ever happening again is to make sure that Chris Carter is no longer given money. <laughs> to do anything else uh, he should ride off into the sunset back to whatever mansion he's got and fucking stay there um, and let's not let's not do another X-Files let's let's uh, let's move on I think that time I think we realised that that time has horribly passed us by um, it takes nothing away from the legacy what we've said before I still think those first five seasons are fucking super strong uh, the four that come after when Mulder and Scully start disappearing and reappearing are okay. They're, they're not terrible. Uh, and towards the end, yeah, they were beating a dead horse. But first five seasons, I think, excellent, excellent TV. A couple of dull ones in there. But on the whole, really, really, really 
good riveting TV that I think holds up. Um, but, I totally agree. Yeah. I, I, I think early X-Files is some of the best genre in television that ever was. Yeah, and see where it's ended up. And that, I think it's just because, well, all right, we've, we've covered it. We've covered it, yeah. And, uh, goodbye, X-Files. Please do not come back. Um, and God willing, the, 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 the ratings have been so low that that will not happen. And I don't like, yeah. they're, they're, I know there's fans of the show out there and I know there's fans of the season and I don't want to, it's not my place to say, you know, no X-Files. If X-Files come back for season 12, that's great. I will not be watching it. Yeah, I, I will. No, if it comes don't even, back, don't even pro- say you watch the first one. Don't do it. I, I think I would just as just to know, just to know, and 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 if the first one was as bad as anything we've seen this season, I would be out. I I would just be curious if they recognized how shitty this was and tried to right the ship somewhat. Yeah, but then they had the previous season to do that. That last episode of the previous season was so shitty that they started off the new season by pretending it didn't exist. I'll tell you what, if if the if there were an episode 12, if it opened with it turning out that the last episode of season 11 was a dream, I would kind of respect it. Yeah. If they were just like, hey, what? Guess what? Fuck you, listeners and viewers. We don't give a shit anymore. It's all a dream. Yeah. Nothing matters. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that. You know, Chris Carter sitting there going, how to tie in for a new season? How to tie in on like one of the other writers is like that's a shame we played that dream card in the previous season because because we really played it this time as well that we'll just play it again surely we can't do it who can do it i'm chris carr motherfucker and do whatever i want play the dream card i think it would be an honest to goodness shame duncan for a show with integrity like the x-files nay even this one to just recycle material for a dumb reason like a season opener yeah. slash finale. Yeah, I, d- I don't think any any self-respecting listener or viewer of any media or medium should be impressed, satisfied, and or stand for anyone that would use such an obvious underhanded ploy ball. Yeah, honestly, if, if such a thing were to be done on this program... I would expect and be disappointed if I did not see uh, literal torches and pitchforks. Yeah. So. Yep. I think the I think that if we were ever to, on the most unlikely event, ever try and do that, a hashtag funk, fuck dunk boco uh, would be would be the thing that I will see trending on Facebook and on Twitter. Yeah. Hashtag fuck dunk boco. That would be a deserved fate if we had the sheer gall, Duncan, to just do the same stupid shit over yeah. again. The fucking uh, balls on these guys. <laughs> so, any final thoughts, man? Are we done with this? Can we just go on to Westworld now? Yeah, we are gonna we are gonna ride off into the sunset and enjoy. I think what will be realistically about three weeks. Um before westworld that's how close we are to westworld now uh i think we're about three four weeks tops away from that show starting so yeah i think we we had originally joked about maybe some content in between maybe blood simple which i'm still keen to do uh but if that does not come to fruition the next time you hear myself and bo 
we'll be covering season two of Westworld, and boy, that is a show I cannot wait to get into my fucking eye sockets. Bring that bad boy on. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited as well to jump into a much. It, how could it not be better than this? I am. A, the thing is, they've they finished that May story, so to speak. That like all all bets are off now. They can go wherever they want and do whatever they want. They're they're now in uncharted territory. So let's just go with it. Let's just go with it and see where we end yeah. up. I can't I can't wait. Ed Harris doing what he wanted to do all through season one. Mm-hmm fighting for his life against robots. Yep. Uh and maybe I'll maybe I'll show up, goddammit. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure that we will find a guy kind of make like see since we started doing all the funny voices and all the rest, I kinda want to go back and do Westworld season one where Anthony Hopkins is played by Alfred Brimley. <laughs> a hybrid woman made, Brimley. Made a robot, goddammit. Listen here, Bernard, goddammit. Bernard. <laughs> Bernard. Uh, <laughs> listen, Bernard, goddammit. Listen, Bernie. What, what's this look like? Nothing at all? Goddamn right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. I mean, I think... It's, I, can't, I, can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm so excited I, to get back into that. I think there's... An argument to be made for Brimley as Ed Harris as well. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So Brimley we'll see. Who knows? We'll 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 see how things turn out. There may be no Brimley at all. It may just be all Jim Garrison because now that I've started doing that, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's rattling around my Brimley head. Brimley is one of the mechanical bison. Brimley is one of the mechanical egos. Brimley is everyone. All Brimley all the time. <laughs> I'm in love with James Marsden, goddammit. <laughs> we'll call our show the Hail Brimley Power Hour. Oh, yeah. I'll ride those coattails any day. <laughs> um, hey, folks. Thanks so much for listening this season. Uh, it has been a treat. Yes, the episodes of The X-Files may not have always been what we hoped, but your listening and participation has been uh, beyond reproach. And uh, we sincerely appreciate it. Thanks very much for uh, hanging in there. We'll be back. Uh, it, it, keep an eye out. We we might get that bonus episode in. I would like to do that, actually. Yeah, like- but there's also uh, a thing that we're doing for Psychosomatic that is coming up pretty soon as well. So mm-hmm. uh, we'll see. I don't know. We'll figure it out. If not, worst case scenario, everybody, if everything goes wrong, we'll be back at the end of April with uh westworld season two so duncan for one last time in season 11 of uh the x-files uh say goodbye to everybody bye everyone So Agent Cooper is just freaking out, screaming, what year is this? And then that's it. That is the final episode of Twin Peaks uh, Season 3. And uh, I thanks for listening. I wish, you know, obviously Duncan had been here to, to share it with us. But, uh, um, you know, he, he went on to do other things. Uh, 
Coward! Ah, all right. So, uh, I, I guess we start over. Um, so Pete Martell is, uh, getting ready to go fishing and, oh, pizza's here. This is no pizza. It's a package from Duncan, my old nemesis. What do you say, Leo Stein? Do we open it? Huh, he can't talk. <laughs> Leo Stein's dead. All right, all right, fine. I'll open the package. Let's see what old Duncan has to say. Hi, Bo. This is Duncan. I hope this makes its way to you safely and untampered. We've been lied to all along. The case into Twin Peaks was not what we thought it was at all. And the special task force, codenamed Blue Rose, wasn't as innocent as we were led to believe. Now you already know the story of Project Blue Book from our uncovering of that dossier dubbed The Secret History of Twin Peaks and the disappearance surrounding former FBI agent Wyndham Errol and his connections to the special branch codenamed Blue Rose. We were led to believe that Wyndham Merrill had went missing in an area of Ghostwood Forest in Outer Twin Peaks, Washington State, that the Dugpass tribe called the Black Lodge. He was linked to the disappearance of one Agent Dale Cooper, a former prodigy of Gordon Cole and the Blue Rose Task Force. We believed that Agent Cooper had selfishly sacrificed his safety prior to his MIA status when he ventured into the woods to rescue a local waitress, Annie Blackburn. Cooper succeeded in this mission and once retrieving her made a speedy recovery, although it was first believed that he might have been suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress, as it was noted by several Twin Peaks residents that Cooper appeared to be acting odd. Now during our investigations last year we followed the events that led to the understanding that Cooper, who returned, was not the real Cooper at all. Furthermore, that the imposter had created an elaborate crime syndicate to finance his obsession for a series of coordinates which we later found out to be the location of a mythical entity known as Jaldi. But what if he wasn't the only one obsessed with this? Bo's soul was Blue Rose. In fact, I think that their project is just a smokescreen for their true intentions. A plot so nefarious that my source, codenamed damn fine coffee, told me it could risk all life on this planet. FBI Director Gordon Cole, Agent Cooper and a high-ranking official in Project Blue Book by the name of Major Garland set out a plan in 1989 for Agent Cole to infiltrate this black lodge and capture the entity known as Judy, using the cover story of rescuing Annie Blackburn. Cooper entered with this mission as his primary concern and thus when he failed and a Cooper clone was created it shared the same primary concern but was free from the moral backbone and law binding methods that we're trained at at the academy. It wasn't until Cooper was finally returned safe to this plane of existence that this mission was finally declassified to members of Blue Rose Task Force and ultimately relayed to myself. It should be no surprise that Cooper resumed his previous mission with the help of Gordon Cole and his former secretary, Diane Evans. Cooper has now since vanished again, Cole is no longer available for comment and Evans has also vanished. 
There were very high-ranking officials that were aware of this plot, Bo, to gain a being of pure, negative, destructive energy under the guise of protecting and serving the public. Blue Rose is above the law and appears to be unimpeachable. I tried relaying this information to A.D. Skinner, who has since requested my removal from the records office where I've been stationed since our last assignment. Bo, they know I was getting too close. I was about to uncover a conspiracy that would shake the foundations of power. This morning I received word from A.D. Skinner that I have to be reassigned to the basement of the Washington Bureau office. I am to carry out work on some case files which have been previously suspended due to the reckless manner in which our former agents investigated them. Bo, they've reopened the X-Files. I need you, buddy. Now, more than ever. Bo, the truth is out there. That's it. Another case. A whole new set of X-Files with apocalypse diseases and lost alien kids and... You know, on second thought... Let's not go to the X-Files. It is a silly place. Hang on, huh? Quick note back to Duncan. You can go right to hell. Love, Bo. And now, back to work. So, Pete Martell is going to this Strikes twice. 